Hello and welcome to episode 207 of the Crate and Crowbar. My name is Chris Thurston and tonight I'm joined by Tom Senior. Hello. And Tom Francis. Hello. <laughs> by the time you listen to this, listener of this, Heat Signature will be out. Yeah, that's a weird thought. <laughs> it is. It'll exist. Well, it already exists, obviously. Who else? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah. um, but it will, it will exist in a, in a material uh, capitalist sense, which is the only true existence. Yep. And I will know how it worked out. Whether <laughs> the last three and a half years were, <laughs> are going to pay off. Are you truly going to know that within 24 hours of launch? Yeah, I hope. Okay. <laughs> I'll have a, a pretty good idea um, within like an hour <laughs> after launching. Uh, just just a ballpark because I have nothing at the moment. With mm. Gunpoint, we did a pre-order week. So by the time it launched, I already had Some a sort of safety net of yeah. like, okay, it's going to do at least that well. Is that because sales tend to trend rather coherently that you well, can extrapolate in that way i don't know i've only had one game <laughs> okay. actually no i've had two games but the other one uh, was very uh was much smaller scale and also was given away free to a huge number of people so it's very hard to mm. know whether i don't imagine that will behave it similarly yeah because i just don't know how random those patterns are like what if there's like a freaky eclipse at seven o'clock when the game comes yeah. out and everyone who wants it falls asleep i didn't fucking realize egx was that day mm. <laughs> so that many people are that's only going to slow down game journalists yeah which is a shame because um, they don't uh, buy anything. Some of them might, <laughs> but some of them might retweet it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Would have been nice if you're going to EGX. I know it's, it'll be in the past. <laughs> <laughs> if you're at EGX, you're at EGX right with now, a time machine. Alert, <laughs> yeah. alert. If you're, please retweet the yeah, time machine. Long if you're taking a break from the from the fun of EGX to listen to this podcast somehow, and you hear this, <laughs> uh, yeah, help help Tom out. Unless I don't need it by then, in which case, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows. That's exciting. How are you feeling? I know you were pretty, you know. Pretty good, actually. Um, the, really feels like there's some buzz, which is nice. Mm. Um, got like 3,000 people on, on the beach at the moment. So people are playing it. Uh, and also it's gone out to games journalists and some of them have said really nice things already. Um, and yeah, there's, there's lots of people hammering up my door every day saying, not my figurative door, not my literal door. <laughs> um, saying, launch it now. Give it to me. I want it. Uh, which is nice. That's and it, good. like the nice thing actually is that it's not, I'm not getting a load of people saying like, oh, cool, a new thing from the gunpoint people. I want to see that. They're, they seem specifically excited about this. They're not excited about it just because it's yeah. because of the, they like the last thing, which is nice because it's quite different to the last thing. It's not necessarily, if you want a game exactly like gunpoint, it's not quite that. Mm. So what is your, you know, journey to Thursday looking like? At the moment? <laughs> um, it's just lots and lots of finishing things off and updating store pages and... Um, uh, I will probably sort of announce the Steam Friends features um, tomorrow, which will be yesterday when you listen to this, or the day before yesterday. <laughs> so what will you have announced yesterday, tomorrow, Tom? <laughs> um, and yeah, get, make sure it's ready on on uh, uh, both storefronts and stuff like that. Mm. You know, it's amazing to me that three years, four years into the life of this podcast, we haven't figured out how to talk about things that are happening that might be in the future or the past based on the fact that we record a podcast on a Tuesday and it goes <laughs> up on a Friday. We could have the guy from Twin Peaks say it in reverse. That's, I feel like we're adding problems here. <laughs> like we've added feature creep to this, you know, issue. But yeah, I think, I can't remember if we mentioned this last week, but um, yeah, the, the podcast is about as old as Heat Signature. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's yeah, thought. That's what this podcast thought. and my niece are about as old as Heat Signature. <laughs> well, congratulations all three of <laughs> us it is her birthday soon actually 
Well, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, speaking of birthdays, also, it's much, it's, it's less news, but, um, if you listen to this on the Friday, it comes out. I, we need to get better at this. If you listen to this today, Friday, <laughs> the 22nd of, um, September, then it is also Hackmud's first birthday. It's a weird coincidence that, you know, the game I'm working on, because I have obviously been working on the game for its life, but, um, Sean and I have planned a little event, so I thought I'd just mention that oh, nice. there is, um, if you have, if you particularly if you followed the previous Hackman event, um, then there is some a big public puzzle to solve and some hot hot computer law to uncover. I think I'm not telling this, but it's there. It's what I've been doing. So you know that's happening. But it's nice to be able to you know tie a bow on a year of that game for them. So that's nice. <laughs> indeed indeed so that's all the, is that all the news i think that might be all the news i can't really think of very much actually so another um uh game that i would like to play i haven't played yet but maybe is you know newsworthy is that divinity 2 has come out and yeah. seems to be oh, extremely yeah. well received mm, um yep. and has sold like five hundred thousand copies in a week which is obviously very good for an rpg i've been following um uh, janine hawkins who's writing about it for polygon i believe um and doing a sort of review in progress type thing and she's been loving it and she wrote uh, some great tweets about um she had a situation where uh it had rained blood all around her from and, a lacerated sky uh i don't know okay um, to be confirmed and an enemy was gonna you like electrified the the blood mm. um so that it would damage uh her people and then she blessed the blood so that then it would heal her people instead. <laughs> and that sounds awesome. Like, that is all, so do you know, uh, weirdly today, um, someone favved my review of Divinity Original Sin 1. I think they must have been Googling, you know, when sort of a, a favved tweet shows up from years ago. Yeah. So I ended up clicking on it purely because I'd completely forgotten what I'd written. And the first three words of my review are blood conducts electricity. <laughs> awesome. Apparently that's the thing that makes you notice the systems in that yeah. game is, is, oh shit. Um, but she then tweeted that she's, uh, with no spoilers, but she says she's reached a choice in it that if she was playing for fun, she would just stop playing for good. She's really pissed off that she has to make this choice and doesn't like it at all. Doesn't give any details beyond that, which is probably for the best, huh. but that's both, uh, worrying and also just completely fascinating. What could it possibly be <laughs> yeah. where just even the existence of the choice is, uh, mm. <laughs> yeah, weird. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know why I stopped playing the first game because I was really enjoying it and then suddenly got bored of it. Yeah, I, I know. I remember why I stopped and it's because I reached a big town and I was like, ah, That's exactly I don't know. To me as well. <laughs> yeah, this serious, um, yeah. big town paralysis. Mm. That's definitely a real thing. Yeah, it is a thing. Yeah. Definitely in RPGs. Yeah, it's, it, I found that because, um, and I reviewed it, but I had that feeling of like when I, when I'd gotten my head around big town. And John, <laughs> all of the, big town is a state of mind. Yeah. Forget it, Jake. It's big town. <laughs> um once i'd uh once i'd gotten my head around big town i um I, I was actually horrified to discover that that's like act one of the game which is often that is the Baldur's gate mold right of like mm. little town big town cardboard, cardboard box, box. <laughs> um that's the smallest town of all yeah exactly um yeah big town little town pocket dimension <laughs> and um which is basically the structure of divinity as well actually thinking about it um but that it is almost like a kind of weird vertigo, right? With like just there's too much to do. Therefore, uh, I'm going to stop. 
Yeah. I powered through in the case of the original eventually, but yeah, there was yeah. definitely a, a moment of like, shit, oh shit. I think, um, and I never had the problem with Elder Scrolls games, but I do remember in Morrowind, uh, that worked really nicely because it had a good town size progression. You start mm. in the tiniest fishing village and then you get sent to, um, a sort of medium town, Balmora, and it's much bigger and there's more shops and it feels like a, um, sort of, uh, the big time to you at that point but in the in grand the grand scheme of things it's fairly small uh and then it's quite a long way in before you're ever sent to vivek which is the capital and the first time you go there you're like oh my god look at this place it just seems huge and daunting but uh i think when i was first there i had a specific quest to do and i was just there to do that and no one was asking me to sort of explore this town and discover everything that i had and so that worked really well for me it was kind of it had the feel of an intimidating big place but i didn't actually feel intimidated and daunted i i was just uh, you dip into it and then you mm. come back when you want to. Unless you jump a million miles in the sky at the beginning of Ekmoral and Pikachu and land in Vivek. Yeah, perfectly possible. You could, oh, I wonder, okay, so there's also a walking on water spell. If you use the massive agility spell to jump incredibly high and you have the walking on water spell and you land on water, do you break your legs? <laughs> I guess. Mm. I think you probably would. Mm. Let's not do that then. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, no, exactly. You I mean the? Uh, it's interesting because Big Town Paralysis is definitely an RPG problem, right? I'm curious mm. to think of how games get around it because, like, Tides of Numenera is Big Town at the, right at the start. Baldur's Gate Two is dungeon followed by Big Town. Mm. Um, Pillars of Eternity is like quite has goes quite away before it really hits you with big town yeah <laughs> trying to think i'm basically trying to break rpgs down by like time to big town <laughs> well final fantasy 7 starts you in the biggest town on the map and then mm. you fight out of it and then you come back to it later and see how it's changed it's a really satisfying arc mm, maybe that's how they should do it maybe you're mm. you're opening your adventure should always be breaking out of big town mm. <laughs> and then you return to big town when you can handle it emotionally <laughs> <laughs> horizon uh sends you to the big town pretty pretty quick well, no, there's a, there's a long story intro, but then once you're out in the open world, I think the first thing you're told to do is go to Big Town. <laughs> I, I, you know, I've been playing that game for like 12 hours. I still haven't gone to Big Town, <laughs> but I think I might be really distracted. I did it of my own accord. Um, I was like, I'm not going to follow the quest. I'm going to set across the whole world and just do my own journey. I'm going to go to this place. And I picked a random spot and then journeyed <laughs> there. And it was an amazing journey. And I th- th- had to get past this gate and do a quest to open that gate. And then I got there and it's like, well done. You've got next leg of your quest complete. <laughs> like, oh, what? <laughs> I was supposed to do exactly this. That's actually the, the amazing design or a beautiful accident. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I wonder if that was the choice that, that, that meant that they can no longer continue with Divinity, Divinity <laughs> Original Sin 2, which is hard to say, um, was, you know, do you want big town or bigger town? <laughs> and it's like, well. They could have called it like, Unoriginal sin, <laughs> derivative sin. <laughs> but like, oh, if you're going for the one of the original seven, that's like a little bit. <laughs> it's a bit, a bit of a cliche done. now. Yeah. Mm. No, I'm excited about it. I'm excited for the GM tools as well. Getting more into mm. tabletop role playing. I like the idea of having that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, sufficiently well realized within a digital computer video game. That's exciting. Consistent physics systems. Mm. Lightning conduction. Yeah. Which I've also been enjoying in Zelda, but we can't talk about that. Can't, yeah, it's forbidden. <laughs> we, we, we've been planning to talk about it for ages, <laughs> but two things keep happening. One is that um, I continue being slow finishing it, but also new people keep buying it. Mm. So I kind of want to talk about Zelda when everyone's finished it now. Yeah. Well, this is now. also known as the Bloodborne phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a playthrough of it, video playthrough. In two years. Time. Yeah. 
yeah um so so yeah so i'm i'm really looking forward to divinity but it sort of ended up in the XCOM war of the chosen box for me of mm. of things that i will play when the current crunch subsides so um but yeah it's nice to see it's doing well and it's been quite so well received just all people on twitter calling it the greatest turn-based rpg ever made Ooh. which is yeah i've seen a few reviews say things to that effect hmm Gosh. Sounds like a newsworthy thing we're in no position to cover. <laughs> you can play as a lizard skeleton, which I'm very excited about. Right. Like you can be an undead version of any of the races, and they all have different skeletons. That's a great... Why has no one gotten that That's right before? Idea. You know? Like, mm. why are the undead always human undead? Why can't I be a giant cow? <clears throat> well, I mean, cow. that's a different question, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dead cow. A dead cow, yeah. Okay. Just the bones of a cow. <laughs> Not animated or magical or anything. Just sliding, sliding <laughs> around the environment. Yeah. The inert bones of a cow. Firing fireballs out of its eyes. <laughs> oh, well, that, that is pretty animated. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. So that part, is, part actually, no, you, 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 have you played West of Loathing? Uh, no. Because you've literally just described almost exactly one of the enemies of <laughs> really? West of Loathing, which is a floating cow skull that mm. shoots fire. Wow. It's remarkable that you got that close. Why would a cow shoot fire? Why? Would be, it came out of your brain yeah. and apparently a symmetric <laughs> brains at the same time. Yeah, I believe the Forbidden Game Zelda has skeleton versions of a lot of their enemies. It does, yes. Yeah, it has, it yeah. It has Don't you can play as them, though. You can, you can bash bits off the skeletons and then bash the rest of the skeletons with those bits. You bash the head off them and the head desperately finds a body and it doesn't matter what body the head finds. And uh, So the, if you knock everyone's head off in Zelda, sorry, <laughs> we're going to get off Zelda in a minute. It's fine. But it's amazing. Um, so you can set like, all, all the heads just looking for bodies and all the bodies are looking for heads and they're interchangeable so they don't have to pick the same head they can just pick up a different head and put it on and then start fighting you again it's amazing it's great it's so full of stuff like that yeah I absolutely love that game it's so one of the reasons yeah it was nice watching because I think you were the most recent person to start playing it yeah Tom so. yeah. S and um, watching your you have that realisation of like go from to go from oh uh, you know this seems like a nicely well made adventure game to oh shit <laughs> yeah it's amazing yeah it's really really amazing I could say so much about that game and we will eventually yeah we will eventually <laughs> we'll just do it now uh, no, um, but no, it turns out Breath of the Wild is probably secretly one of the best design games. One of the best open worlds I've ever yeah. explored. Just yeah, the, uh, literally, you know, the thing that they always said, oh, go in a direction, have an adventure, like, unfailingly Zelda delivers something surprising and cool, pretty much whatever, wherever you go. It's amazing. Yeah, bizarre mix of open feeling and crafted feeling, mm. where it turns out the key to making a good open world game is to make every single thing amazing <laughs> everywhere. Yep. Like, don't that rely. Works. Yeah, and I don't know how you don't, you know, yeah. It, it's like, you got, it's got to suck if you're any other um, developer, right? Going mm. like, oh, oh, that was what we were missing. Apart from um, apart from the forest, which is uh, uh, um, like the bullshit section of the game where all the bullshit in the game is in one place. Yeah, there's also a very bullshit stealth bit. Ah, uh, okay. So, is that yeah. the Misty Forest? Yeah. Yeah, I hate that. It's, it's, it's bullshit getting into it, and then all the quests inside it are bullshit. <laughs> it's like they put all the bullshit into one part of the game, so, you know. Um, That's good. Actually, that, that makes me feel stuff. better. Yeah. You would imagine there's a lot of like Assassin's Creed developers just going, oh, thank God. Like, <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. You know, every game has its Misty Forest. It's just how big it is. Yeah, there's also a Insta-Fail style section that yeah. is also, like, it's probably bollocks. <laughs> like, you can't subvert it as much as the rest of that game unless you yeah. subvert things, yeah, which is yeah. a shame. I don't know why we're talking about Zelda now. I yeah, am talking yeah, about Zelda. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, the, the connection to Divinity Original Sin is that they're both games that fundamentally have a physics system underneath mm. them. Like, they're kind of RPGs, but they're also fundamentally like physics games. Kind of sandboxy, very consistent rules that operate in all yeah. combat and exploration. Which basically boils down to things conduct electricity. Yeah, to bring which, back to which is great. That should, that should be more things. Uh, I was about to start another Zelda anecdote, but I won't go for it. <laughs> no, go for it. 
Seriously, Tom, tell, tell the story. Oh, um, so lightning storms are fucking amazing in Zelda because uh, anything metal in the world attracts lightning. And uh, if you're if you've got a bow or a sword out, and then and it's made of metal, then there's a chance you'll get hit by lightning. So you have to unequip all of your metal shit and just pull out like a wooden sword and a wooden bow and make sure that you're not wearing anything too conductive. Um, so in my panic once, I um I dropped my metal sword as I was running away from some bad guys, and they ran across the sword, and the sword just lying on the landscape got zapped by an enormous bolt of lightning because the systems are just consistent across the board. It doesn't matter whether the enemies drop it or you drop it, and it, it just set fire to like three of them, and the fire. The fire is also a thing in that game. Like yeah. the, the, the rain puts it out, but f- you know, if you shoot, you know, arrows across it, they will catch fire. If the, if any enemies are holding wooden objects, they will catch fire as well. So it's just like the the kind of stuff that happens in it is just insane. Like domino effects of you know physics systems interacting with one another in these chaotic environments. It's mm. Incredible. Just yeah, it's just it's just full of that. Like the time mm. I realised that you can throw loads of chili peppers on a fire when chili peppers burn. They create an updraft because they burn really oh, yes, hot. Yes. And so you can leap over that with your hang glider and get thrown up in the air, like really, really high because mm. of the up current of hot air. Yeah. It's just, oh, you, you go man. to the desert and then any food that you just put on the floor cooks itself because it's so hot. This <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is just amazing. So it's Yeah. Cause the temperature system is consistent as well. Yeah. Across oh, the entire so game. Yeah. Like, you know, to, to bring this back to a uh, PC game, we haven't played Divinity Original Sin 2. <laughs> mm. Um, the key, the, the key, I think to the sort of, the appeal of both of those games is they achieve things that previously you kind of need pen and paper role playing to do. Mm. Like the, you know, the good thing about pen and paper role playing is when you, as the GM or, or as a player, you can say to the GM, like, I want to do this. And it makes sense logically to me that I should be able to do this. Like I'm going to throw my hammer at the, I don't know, the winch over there and mm. try and bash the hobgoblin off the pulley into the thing. And that's going to, do the whatever and you roll some dice to determine whether or not that happens or to what extent that happens mm. but because it's in your imagination you can apply all that real world logic and it can be it can surprise you you know you can surprise each other whereas in a game you kind of have this implicit understanding that like fire is a particle effect it is not fire or you know things don't really have weight except when they're assigned to interact in particular ways and running into something is just going to make your character stop rather than barrel through it and <laughs> and that kind of thing so mm. when those systems actually do function in a way that's beyond simply like numbers on a, you know, or, you know, a, a fixed set of interactions like Divinity's mad set of things that can be conduct electricity or can mm. catch fire or can be put out or can freeze and all the rest of it. It mm. it feels like you're actually actually there in a way that RPGs don't always achieve. Yeah, it reminds me of the novelty that I got seeing physics systems work for the first time. Like, mm. yeah, half, Half-Life seesaw puzzles and throwing a can at a combine soldier is like, oh my god, this is insane, the consistency, and it all behaves how I think it should. And games like Divinity and Zelda just turn that up, take that up to another level with like a series of interacting elemental systems that are completely consistent throughout the open world. Um, which is insane, especially when you can start considering like edge cases they have to avoid with that stuff, especially because they give you a series of powers at the start of the game that are totally consistent and usable in the open world for the rest of for, for the entire thing. Yeah, like magnets and like magnets and the ability to just grow platforms out of water. And yeah. it's like, imagine the edge cases that causes in a, in an open world full of water. Like, how do you stop the player from going, you know, where they shouldn't and, and stuff like that? And Zelda's just so seamlessly designed. It's just, uh, you can't break it. it yeah. Seems. That's what I mean when I say that, like, the thing that's so extraordinary about it is like, oh yeah, you can give the player shitloads of freedom and have all these crazy systems. You just have to design the rest of the game perfectly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just have to make no mistakes after yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, apart from the misty forest. Apart from that place, which is, yeah. And the, and the stealth bit. But yeah, we should talk about, um, a different, um, systems driven, personal computer game that yeah. tom i know you and i've been playing mm-hmm. uh which is uh dishonored 
Death of the Outsider, or amusingly, Doto. <laughs> I saw someone called D-Doto. <laughs> to get the dishonor, I love D-Doto. <laughs> That's my take on this. Um, no, um, so I've, so to clarify what we're going to do, because we don't want to spoil it for people, and also little details of Death <clears> of the Outsider are minor spoilers for Dishonored 2. Um, obviously that game's been out for a while, but still. So we're not going to talk about plot stuff, specifics at least. We will talk about abilities and design things, I think. Maybe we'll yeah. save plot stuff for, for maybe doing a little bit more of an in-depth dive. But I would like to talk about how they've built a new little Dishonored. Because that's what it feels like to me. Like, you know, you're a different character. You have a new set of powers, completely new set of powers. So it doesn't. it's not just sort of more levels. It does feel like a new mini Dishonored. Yeah, it's very uh, stripped down. Um because I think they didn't want to do a whole sort of power progression arc. Mm. And so uh, at some point you get given powers, and when you get given powers, you just get given three powers, and that's it. Those are the only three powers you ever get. Um, and you get them all at once, and you can't upgrade them, but you can find bone charms that uh, modify them. So they've yeah. kind of, they've lent heavily on the bone charm system and expanded it a bit, or maybe it's not expanded, just it applies to the to your new abilities in in pretty fundamental ways so yeah fills uh, in you get, the runes basically yeah you get bone charms that do the kind of things to your powers that that runes used to um in the main dishonor game um and i don't do you have bone charm crafting yes you do oh no no sorry it's on the menu that's what i meant yeah so i've thing, got lots of raw whalebone it's got to be possible because they they've customized this you know interface to suit what features they do have you know there's no level up uh, slots or anything because you don't have get those and you don't find runes because you can't use them but i keep finding whalebone for bone charm crafting and i've i completed it now and i never got the opportunity to get bone charm crafting so i don't huh. know if, that, if that's something i missed maybe um but yeah the new powers are um her version of blink is uh uh displacement which uh you sort of place a marker much the same way that you would blink normally except when you release it just places the marker and doesn't take you there yet uh and then you can decide when to blink there um and then there's foresight which lets you leave your body and kind of move around uh, while time is paused just to look at things and tag them um i'm a huge fan of tagging <laughs> in all games so i'm very happy with this and actually i got a uh, bone charm that upgraded that so that when i tag people their visibility gets worse <laughs> which I really like because I've never I've used loads of tagging systems in the game, but I've never had it actually affect the person you mm. tag, which is a good something you can only really do with supernatural abilities. Um, and while you are looking through that vision thing, you can also place a displace marker, which lets you get to some places you couldn't otherwise get to <laughs> yeah. in an obtuse sort of way. I didn't know that for the first two levels, and on level three, I think there is um uh a, an objective that. I needed a key for and I just couldn't find the key anywhere and it was it was the only thing left to do on the whole level I'd done everything else over playing in this one level for like three hours um and so I thought fuck it it's either give up or um look it up and so I looked it up and didn't still didn't find any mention of where the key is but someone pointed out how to use that ability to get in there and I had no idea you could do that at all <laughs> yeah um because yeah so clarify the difference between blink is displace um what you so in Dishonored, there's like a logic, which I think most people will be familiar with, of like where you can and can't cast spells. So like you can cast anywhere you can kind of clearly, anywhere you could get to physically from where you're standing, 
you can cast a spell. But if there's like a grill or a grating, even if you can see through it, you can't cast a spell through it. You can't blink through a window, for example, like a closed window. Mm. Um, well, it kind of can in this one too, but like you can't, you know, if, if you can see the place, you have to kind of have to be able to move there in order to blink there. Um, through kind of clear air. Um, placing the displace marker works the same way, but teleporting to the displace marker doesn't. So if you use the sort of astral vision, like spirit sight, foresight thing to go around a corner and plant your marker there, and then you can see that marker through a window or through a grill, you can then teleport straight through that location. So it kind of adds a degree of kind of exploratory complexity to like setting yeah. up your blinks, which mm-hmm. works really nicely. It's a strange system because it, the, I, like I said, I didn't know you could do that with, with foresight for a long time, but I, uh, saw multiple tips it kept telling me about how that grill thing works. Um, what mm-hmm. you're just saying, which is that you can, you can't cast, you can't place a displace marker through a grill, but you can teleport through it once one is there. And I'm like, why do you keep telling me this? I don't care. <laughs> like, that seems so, such an edge case. So I'd have to walk around the grill, place it, then go back to where I was and then teleport through it. Um, and yeah, you can use foresight for that, which makes it a lot more relevant, but it's still, uh, it's still very up in the air as to whether you can use foresight to get through the grill. Like lots, you just can't. If it's like a, a mesh thing, you can't get, get through their foresight, but you can get through gaps that are too small for you. So it's like foresight turns you into, I almost think of it as like a flying rat because <laughs> you yeah. can go through the rat tunnels. Or a bat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's what they are. Um, uh, and so, yeah, that, that's a weird distinction that was never made clear to me, you know, uh, I always sort of want to break things down into absolute rules. Like if you can see it, you can do this or no, you need to be able to physically get your body through there. And this is neither. It's somewhere in between. You need to get something physical through there, but it's not you. It's something yeah. ethereal. And you can only move your ethereal form into like a radius around where you actually are. Yeah. But there's some neat things you can do with that. Like um I'm playing on very hard. So the different, <laughs> like the, the, the... I played on easy. <laughs> Well, I recommend, I genuinely do recommend playing Dishonored on very hard because it activates things about the AI that aren't always on, which makes yeah, That's it why I play on easy. <laughs> I want all that stuff turned off. Right. But like, I don't know if they do this on all difficult levels, but AI like notice doors being open. That kind yeah, of they do on easy. Okay. Well, like, I think, I think it mostly changes things like how long they'll search for you and how long they'll stay disturbed. Yeah, they don't do much about it on easy. <laughs> like, oh, a door's open. <laughs> so one thing that's kind of nice is you can obviously use opening doors to manipulate the guards a little bit, but also, with the foresight thing, because the moment you cast foresight, it completely freezes time. Um, if you, like, if you say you want to get into a room that is got a guard patrolling like to and from it, and there's like a doorway between those two things. Um, if you use foresight, the moment the guard opens the door to leave, you can run your spirit form through the open door momentarily, place your teleport in there. And then, you know, if you can see it through a grill or a window or something like that. And then the guard will go through, shut the door behind them, and you can do then do that teleport, provided you can see without any kind of, um, without ever having to interact with the door yourself. It kind of opens these, like all of Dishonored's tools do this, like where they open, like open certain doors and close others, but like <laughs> not literal, not the figurative doors we were talking about earlier. <laughs> and I really like that. I get that kind of brain tickle thing whenever I start to unpick this stuff and kind of figure out how it fits together. Yeah, uh, a trick I like doing with the foresight displaced trick uh combination was um if there's a gap that's too long to jump uh in dishonored you can also potentially cross that gap by jumping and then in midair blinking to the place once it is in range mm. and it's a tricky thing to pull off if you have the time is paused while you're blinking thing it's trivial um but with displace you can use foresight to go out there place the marker on there then go back to yourself run and jump 
and then as soon as you are in range you just have to press the button doesn't matter where you're aiming it'll just snap to uh, yeah. to the marker so it's it's easy to do and that feels really cool yeah it's really interesting we should talk about semblance though we should talk about semblance <laughs> so semblance is the third power you get uh, there is a fourth power we talk about as well um the fourth power is more of an environmental thing the rat thing yeah um so semblance allows you to pull the face off anybody. This is non-lethal, but permanent. <laughs> um, it's a horrible combination. Um, it, it's sort of, it's one of those, it's a bit like the mesmerized power from Dishonored 2, where it's implied that what you see is not what everyone else sees. So mesmerize, you create this like void obelisk. Emily can do this, that who anyone stares at fascinated, but what they see is not necessarily what you're seeing. Like they're seeing something, but you don't know what it is. Um, semblance. You can either do it as a takedown, like as a non-lethal takedown, or you can do it on an unconscious body, or maybe a dead body as well. No, you can't do it on dead people. Okay, so you have to do it on someone who's live, um, and you pull their face off and hold like a kind of void stone facsimile of their face in your outstretched hand. Mm. Um, and when you move, you drain some of your mana. If you've seen the movie Face Off, it's a lot like that. Yeah, <laughs> you take the face off, <laughs> and once you've done that, you can walk around with the face, and that basically any NPC then sees you as that person. Mm. And it does a couple of cool things. Um, one is that it only drains mana when you're moving, and it drains it at a rate proportional to how fast you move. So if you just want to stand there as somebody, you can just do that indefinitely. It never runs out. Um, and so when you do move, it becomes a really careful and calculated thing of, okay, I'm going to take three steps towards that door, and then I'm going to wait and see what that guy does. Um, and I really liked not having time pressure on that. That was really nice. Yeah. And also, I mean, that plays into the way that they've changed the resource system in a way that I like. So, yeah. so, um, using remedy or, or vials to top up mana is completely gone. So you now have like, um, a replenishing mana pool that it, I own, as is the system whereby like a little bit of your mana regenerates if you don't cast a spell fast enough, but the rest of it doesn't. So if you chain cast spells, you have to replenish that with consumables. That's completely gone. It all regenerates now after a certain period of time and how much mana something costs is sort of broken down into quite clear chunks on the mana bar. Yeah. Um, which again, it feels like a simplification of the, the game system so you don't have to hoard things, but it's really nice knowing that that whole element of the game is just not there. So even though you have a smaller pool of powers, it is a, a toy box for just using those powers and not stressing about like, yeah. what, like how much, how much mana, how much like, liquid and solid mana do i have available yeah. to me in this mission because that's going to affect well because i remember when i was doing the no trace playthroughs for pc gamer that was a huge deal because i used possession loads and it costs so much mana mm. that and it, it doesn't it uses mana that's like you don't get back so what i could do in every given level was mitigated by how much i had acquired over time in terms of being able to replenish myself but obviously things like semblance where it drains your mana when you move would be broken if um, if you could be continually topping up your mana and you could just stay as that person forever. Because one thing is that's nice about it is, so the possession power in Dishonored always give you very limited control over somebody. Like you can walk around and press use on things, but you don't get to do anything. Whereas with Semblance, you can do everything you can normally do apart from cast other spells. So you can get into sword fights, you can stab people, you can poke people out. You do lose Semblance if you're seen doing those things, mm. but it still means you can steal stuff and conduct assassinations as somebody else if that's how you want to achieve the goal. Yeah, I actually, uh, I got a bone charm that uh, made it so that killing someone while uh, disguised would replenish some of my void energy, um, like about a third of the bar, which is a lot. Um and that was really interesting because, like I say, you can't semblance onto a dead person. So uh, if you get anyone alone, you can trivially kill them and it will recharge your bar. 
but if you do, if that spell does get broken because you get caught, uh, or you just misjudge your moves and you run out of, of juice and you can't get to another target, um, now you don't have any bodies around to imitate because you killed them all. <laughs> so I found it like a sort of interesting resource game of like, I'll usually kill people, but every now and then if I've got enough mana to be getting on with, I'll just choke this guy so that I can come back to him later and take his face. You also can't take the same person's face twice. So, because yeah, um, it's, it's non lethal but permanent. It's gone. <laughs> what happens <laughs> like, to the person? It's just kind it's of replaced black. with like a kind of Ugh. black mask. Oh no. Like, like it's the thing, like the thing that you've got in your hand is their actual face, but the Mm. thing it looks like it's in your hand is actually their face. Like it's, it's weird. Like Mm. it's dishonored magic stuff, but yeah. Um, it's a great animation as well. Like you kind of just like hoover their face off (laughs) with your hand. That's right. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. I think I, um, had the best time in the, uh, opera singer's house. Yeah. I was about to mention, which was just a, uh, just had really good, like, guard patrols that made things tricky but not not impossible mm. um and that really felt like felt a lot like a hitman mission yeah i mean i think there was like i think so far my purest mo- moment of like dishonored things was in that level because that level also has um in a direct or indirect flashback to the best uh of the old dishonored dlc missions it has it's a it's a a stately house with a dumbwaiter <laughs> and all good Stealth missions have a dumbwaiter in them. That's, I can't back that up at all, because that's not true. But, um, but they should have all, all your raiding a mana m- missions should have a dumbwaiter in them, because they are great. So I used that in that mission, um, to, I stashed the unconscious body of someone important in a dumbwaiter. Well, what I did is the first time I threw their unconscious body into a dumbwaiter, and the only thing being transported in the dumbwaiter was some eels and a bottle of whiskey. And because there was a bottle of whiskey <laughs> in the dumbwaiter, their flying corpse caught fire because there was whiskey. Because <laughs> of in, physics. Yeah, because of physics. And they died. So I reloaded a save and then gingerly removed the whiskey and then put their unconscious body in the dumbwaiter. <laughs> and then rode the dumbwaiter with their unconscious body in it down a floor and then pulled their face off it while hiding in a pantry so that I could infiltrate a very, very secure part of the building, um, do something as a more important part person in the mission, then return, uh, and then still in disguise, go back upstairs, call the, the lift up, stash the body somewhere else, and then ride the dumbwaiter down to freedom, which is just like proper, like, <laughs> you know, when you're doing stealth, when you're doing ghost playthroughs, it's such a good, like, yeah, this was a story. <clears throat> I rode that dumbwaiter to a floor and, um, snuck out, um, I think I actually, uh, it was in a, an empty room, but I wanted to thin out the guards and I unplugged a whale oil canister, which caused a guard to come and investigate. And I choked him out. And, uh, so it'd been a little while since I left the dumbwaiter and I picked up his body and, um, uh, I was going to take the dumbwaiter to like a different floor and dispose of it there. And I walked into the dumbwaiter and me and the body just fell down because a servant on the lower floor had brought the dumbwaiter down to actually use it. <laughs> so me and a corpse just fell down. <laughs> Like, none of this did happen but in my head like i'm screaming he's screaming yeah. <laughs> drop the body <laughs> who's a dumb waiter now <laughs> he shouts at you from the cage i don't know i don't know who's going. <laughs> um but yeah so that's really i really like that stuff it's got like it is pocket dishonored because it's obviously there's less to it than than the main series games but it uh fulfills the ultimate dishonored fantasy which is while dressed as a guard you can walk up to a guard and talk to them and they'll say shall we gather for whiskey and cigars yeah <laughs> yeah 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 because you can talk to people while they think you are someone else the only weakness of semblance or the only weakness in the systems that it exposed for me um 
is you can't carry unconscious bodies through level transitions. Yeah. Because the thing about Semblance, and I think maybe this is the only oversight in its design, is it turns unconscious people into a handy resource. Yeah. Like if you can break into somewhere with an unconscious guard of your soldier, just as like a like just in case you backup. need just in case you need a backup face, um, then then that is actually a big help. So um I was trying to carry a character who has a very specific relationship with a character that I was infiltrating um into their house so I could be them mm. and it just doesn't let you do that. You end up leaving their unconscious corpse behind on the yeah. other side of whatever the level transition door is. Yeah. Which I understand from a technical point of view, but it is like if you offered if you've you implemented a system that turns sleepy people into a useful face resource, then players are going to try and do things like that. Yeah, I, I had a couple of problems with it because it actively encourages you to to think that way. There's even a, a, a tip that says, oh, disguising yourself as a specific people unlocks um, mm. uh, loads of options. And I tried it three times and two times it failed me. Um, one was, one actually wasn't disguising as a particular person, but it was just, you have a quest objective to get past a certain door in a certain way. And I thought, I don't need to do that because I can be anyone. So I'll just be this guy. Um and I was that guy and it worked and that was great. Um, it was actually, so this is just like, you have to be a member of a gang and there's a way to look like a member of a gang that the, the quest points you to. But I was like, oh, I'll just find a member of the gang and I'll just mm. be that person. Um, and uh, I was going against the objective. It doesn't even offer that as like an alternative objective. Uh, but I was like, this is going to work or my name's not Johnny Dishonored. <laughs> um and but it, it turned out to be a huge <laughs> uh, pain to get this person across town again like transporting bodies becomes a big thing i could disguise as her right where i took her out but um then i would have run out of mana by the time i got to the place i needed to to get into uh so i needed to carry her and it was became a huge quest to get the body across the the level and i didn't know for sure it would work um but like i say i just felt like so much like this is what it's for surely if it doesn't work for this it's bullshit um and it did work uh, which is great but then there's one where uh, two people are going to meet, and it's a it's a bit of a niche one because um, uh, so the game now has a, a contracts system, which is basically a whole list of side quests to do in the same space as your main mission, um, all optional but with individual rewards, um, and they are quite hitmanish. Um, they're kind of well, I think like at least two of them are just assassinations. <laughs> um, and lots are kind of like do this without being seen or um uh bring this person to this location um and one of these was uh follow this person to see who they meet and i was so focused on getting this gang member uh across town i could see that happening in the background i could see like a, a important character to this other side quest was walking past me and i should probably follow her but i just thought ah, i've got to do this um this gang thing and by the time I got back to it, she had already met up with her contact and they're just in a really public place. And my, my objective is to kill them both. And it's just like, I don't see any good way of doing this. Um, and I, uh, I did find it a decent way of doing it in the end. Um, I, I had a plan to cause a disturbance elsewhere in town so that everyone would run off. And then while they're away, I'd plant, they're sitting on a bench. Um, while they're away, I'd plant spring raisers on the bench so that when they came back, they would be shredded. <laughs> and I was just planning what, what disturbance I would do. And suddenly everyone just got up and ran. <laughs> and I have no idea what happened, but they must have found like a body from some earlier crime of mine. <laughs> but the distraction just happened automatically and I did it and I put the spring raisers there. One of them went back and got killed that way. And the other one I just, um, tracked down. But I thought this wasn't really the way to do it. There's probably a semblance way to do it, right? If I took out the woman before she met up with the contact and then I became her when I met up with the contact, I could like, Mm. Uh, pretend to be here 
and I did that and just nothing happens. And it's uh, half of it makes sense because I, if I took her out before she met with a contact, I would have no way of knowing that is her contact. It's not, that's one of the things you're trying to find out. Mm. So it made sense that I couldn't say anything to them, but it didn't make sense to me that they wouldn't say anything to me. If we're designated yeah. to meet here, they should react in some way. Mm. Um, and then the other time was like, this is one where they have, there's something you can do with these, um, there's two named characters on a level um, who are going to have a meeting. And I've heard you can be one of them at that meeting. And I don't know, uh, that's advantageous in some way. But I took one of them out. It's like the leader, uh, it's two factions, and then it's the leader of each faction. Um, and so I took out the leader of um, this one faction and uh, quietly with no one finding out and then uh, became her and walked up to a... Uh, a one of her people uh hoping to be able to you know at the very least get deferential respect and uh, ideally what i really want to do is like boss them around i was hoping like if you talk to them the you would like the, say, the hitman thing if you become the officer you yeah can dismiss exactly. all the guards mm-hmm. uh, i kept wanting that to work and it didn't uh but worse i just walked up to eight like the first person and the first thing they said to her to me was um uh i'll just call her boss lady i can't remember her name um the first person, the first thing this guard says was, oh, if you have any trouble, go and see boss lady. And I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> like, that's who I am. That's just immediately said something. It makes no sense to the situation. Hmm. And I wouldn't, if this was like an edge case that I'd, I'd gone off on my own little whim to, to explore, I would be more forgiving of it. But they basically told me to do this. It was like, ex- like be specific people and go around and talk to people. And I did that and it just failed. Yeah. It's interesting because it feels like it's, you're right that a lot of these levels feel like Hitman. I think as a consequence of it basically having a disguise system now mitigated in a different way like you know hitman is about finding the right series of keys and clothes so you can pretend to be whoever this is a little bit more um you know abstract i guess and it's mitigated in a different way it's not mitigated by certain people going to go to certain places it's mitigated by manner and movement and things like that but i think i think it's a really good idea but maybe it's like it opens like a big can of worms in terms of how reactive yeah. you want to be to the player that... yeah i'm not surprised they didn't manage to to pull it off flawlessly because it's an incredibly difficult thing to do but yeah, but I think on balance, I would rather it be in the game, even in a partial yeah. form, rather than abandon the system. It's too complicated to account for every possible yeah. way in which it can be used. Um, so the first, uh, there's basically uh, one mission without your powers. Then the next two missions I uh, really, really liked, um, uh, including a bank job, which is awesome. Um, and then there's one level that is uh effectively recycled from dishonored it's the same place you've been in dishonored and they've changed it both visually and structurally but the visual change to me just made it not pretty whereas before it was stunningly pretty um and the structural changes i i guess it was different but it didn't sort of make it uh Mm. interesting to me still felt like going back to a level i've already played and then um it's weird because they did that in um in Knife of Dawnwall as well. Like, yeah. if this is, if this echoes right. the original Dishonored DLC, like the last level of Knife of Dawnwall is a repeated level from Dishonored 1. Yeah, I did play Knife of Dawnwall. Um, I don't remember that well. It's the last level is Dowd's Hideout, which makes sense yeah. if you go there in Dishonored the first. Um, and then the final level is, feels to me very much like a level and not a place. It's get from A to B type thing. Um, and you're just trying to reach something. Um, and I really didn't like it. Uh, and I also didn't like the end at all. I won't talk about anything uh, that could be spoilery. But um, yeah, I actually went back and played it a different way because the the first way was just so disappointing. It was just nothing. Um, uh, and then when I went back and played it the other way, there's a huge amount of more content to it, but I still didn't really like right. the way it played out or, or playing it. I guess that's something for a 
more of a spoiler. Yeah. Spoiler pod. Did you want to mention the fourth power? Because you can talk to rats now. Rats speak. Oh, yeah. It's all the same on Twitter. Yeah. They, they're adorable. Um, <laughs> I can't hear a word they're saying. I have to turn on subtitles because it just, it's doing like a reverse echo, but there's also two voices talking at once. And then my brain just shuts down. It's like, what? <laughs> they just, they just natter and say little poems about stuff. Hmm. Um, oh. it's, it, it, it replaces the heart, really. So the pointing the heart at things and getting those little stories, mm. like, I mean, there's always like, you know, it's the same. It's the dishonored tone stuff, which to be reductive is basically like pointing a heart at someone and it says, she's going to fall off a bridge later. Um, this is a lot like that, although it's an adorable little rat mouse voice going like, she's going to talk about a rich later. <laughs> um, which is actually brilliant. That's um, awesome. yeah. Um, yeah, it's good. I like it. Also because it's, it's sort of, it's, it's the first power you get, you have in every level. Hmm. And it's just sort of implied that who you are, uh, Billy Lurks, just being able to talk to rats the entire time. It's a very dishonored thing to be able to do. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Do you have any new like weapons or anything or gadgets? Yeah, yes, the hook mines. <laughs> the hook mine is a, a mine that, when it's triggered, uh, just sucks the person to it like a ragdoll. Um, and you can choose whether it kills them or not. <laughs> um, but either way, it's hilarious. And I just, uh, do you remember those like towers? Uh, they used to be like missile towers, but in this, they're mostly dormant. Um, they have these overhanging ledges. Mm. I threw a hook mine on one of those. And I think I'd said it's non-lethal, but the guard walked past, just flung him into space, basically. <laughs> just went pinwheeling through the sky. <laughs> well, he's yeah, dead. <laughs> they are the most lethal looking non-lethal thing because <laughs> they basically like pull people by whichever of their limbs is physically closest to the mine at the point of activation. So people get stuck up to them by their hands, by their feet, uh, by their backs. And, because like when it's a non-lethal mode they just stick to it and then go to sleep <laughs> and the implication is that they've been like sucked through space with such force that they've just passed out like immediately um and obviously unconsciousness in in dishonored is a bit of a fuzzy concept anyway because you just choke people for a little bit and they go to sleep for ages mm. like it's a game state as much as a uh like a, a physical thing that's happened to these people but it like um, without giving too much away, there was a reason in an early mission in, in Death of the Outsider that I wanted to completely non-lethally clear a building. It didn't matter if I got seen, but it basically involved me like creating a, a safe sort of lair for myself and then setting up these things like a fucking Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone, <laughs> like just on top of like above doorways and like round corners and things. And then getting like half of the people in the level to chase me and just running around corners as they, <laughs> so they get pulled into walls and go to sleep. And then like loot, going back, looting them all, like reaching up to kind of like rifle through their pockets and things. And they're all just asleep, stuck to the walls. <laughs> but it is nice to have like, that's one thing I would say for this is like all of the new powers are there to assist creative stealth stuff none of them are lethal by nature actually no um you can telefrag people with um, <laughs> yeah. it with um displace in a way that you couldn't with um and it really hurts <laughs> yeah it hurts you as well um but it really hurts them um but you um but you know it's not like you get like a new like tentacle murder power like emily does in dishonored 2 hmm. um and most of the new feeling gadgets are the non-lethal stuff so you have hmm. like a decent stun bolt now which is like a kind of electric shot that actually puts people down non-lethally um i use that mostly on dogs because i didn't want to kill the dogs and also uh, because dogs can smell you when you're in semblance like they know it's not really who you're pretending to be mm. yeah that's interesting yeah i've, I've got a bone charm means dogs can't smell me <laughs> yeah I got that because the, that that's bone charm stinks <laughs> just a really doggy bone charm yeah um and um, I have, yeah, you know, dogs don't count towards non-lethal. 
at all. Uh, to be towards lethal, as in non-lethal. If you if you just if you if you kill dogs, it doesn't count. Right towards your non-lethal playthrough. I just didn't want to kill the dogs. <laughs> I had a I had a mission to kill a dog. <laughs> yeah, that's actually the only contract I didn't do. I just thought oh, you, you did the contract to kill people. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I did, there's a contract to kill everyone, <laughs> like yeah. on a level, murder every single person. <laughs> I did that. The contracts are quite cool actually because it's a simple thing, but it's nice. Like because I'm I'm doing like a non-lethal playthrough with the exception of dogs, which is a weird thing for me to say, but like <laughs> I'm but, doing the opposite. We're doing the opposite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know what the like the 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 speed run verbiage for that is. <laughs> like, um, you know, any percent, <laughs> any percent, any all, percent dogs. all dogs, <laughs> um, any percent, no dogs or people. Um, and um, I'm doing non-lethal just because um, because the character you are, Billy Lurk, um, lectures Dow did Knife of Dunwall about being too lethal, so it seems weird <laughs> to me that she would get her own DLC and then just fucking kill everybody. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, and. Um, and I'm now, because of the contracts that I'm not doing, because they involve killing people, I'm looking forward to going back and doing the lethal run because yeah. it feels like that just unlocks more stuff to do. And the fact that they are like mini challenges means Actually, that it's, yeah. Uh, I tell a lie that the contract to kill everybody, I did not complete it in the end because I don't know why I couldn't find, I evidently there's someone I didn't kill, but it gives you no tally of how many people you've killed. And it's a huge fucking building. And I went through it multiple times making sure every corpse really was That's dead. terrifying. I would like, you know, try and hack off one of their limbs so I can see at a distance. Yeah, that one's definitely dead. <laughs> uh, but it's still not enough. So yeah, I just killed good. everyone for no reason. I uh, didn't get any reward for it. <laughs> Damn. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I had that, um, like I say, the power that recharges your energy for killing someone while you're in semblance. And that's... Um, that's not an excuse, A fun mechanic. <laughs> no, it was a tool. <laughs> um, so that fitted well with that playstyle. I quite like that idea that, like, to maintain your disguise, you're just, like, stealth chain assassinating everybody in the building. Yeah, it, uh, it is pretty horrific, um, because everyone likes you, <laughs> everyone's really friendly to you, and then you just murder them with brutal kill animations. Yeah, they, they've done a, I was wondering if this is a deliberate stylistic thing, but they've definitely turned up, I feel like, over the course of Dishonored as a series, how bad it is to kill people, because it's quite nasty, like, the takedown animations are very detailed, but also, like, the way people, like, shout when people die is not like it's not naturalistic because it's a stylized world but it's it's not like you know traditional guard shouting there's like a lot of like shock and horror in their voices like the same is true just on it too generally but like they sound genuinely mortified that you've just killed someone they know like like you like like you were in the wrong for murdering somebody out of nowhere in that guarded house there's a lot <laughs> yeah, of guards weird. there's a lot of guards who are just bored and because you know by the time of this story uh, no spoilers, but it's not set in a world that's particularly dystopian anymore. You're not in mm. a oppressed <coughs> society where all the guards are corrupt. I mean, and actually, Dishonored always established that most of the guards that you're encountering are not the problem. They're just people who work for the government, and there's always maybe one person at the top who actually deserves to be knifed, but most people don't. And it's always played with that to an extent. But now it really feels like if you go on a murder spree, you are like, you're now the villain of Dishonored. I had a great is- moment where... um uh, a guard was saying one of those lines uh, like they found a body and they were saying when I find this murderer I'm gonna and then I was in semblance and I walked up to him and, and uh, talked to him and he said oh hi how's it going <laughs> <laughs> oh dear that's good though then I killed him <laughs> good I can explain it recharge my void energy <laughs> <laughs> explain that to his family <laughs> 
but they'll seem very grief stricken. But then as soon as I talk to them, I'll be like, oh, hey, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> Should we do questions? Yeah. Yes. All right. Cool. Hell yes. Fab. <laughs> wow. Nice. Get in. <laughs> pumped for questions here at the crank crowbar and boy we are pumped for questions because we've got quite a lot of questions this mm. week partly because mm. i asked for questions which i haven't done for a while send us your questions we might answer them no might not or we might not because i'll like that pause going our first question is actually a grudge i'm gonna do this backwards i'm gonna do the grudge first mm. don't know why just mixing things up you can't stop me it comes from aiden who writes and i'm looking at the screen so this is really hard i have to rotate myself really yes uh, Really, obviously, I've planned this really badly. Oh my god, I can't see this at all. There we go. <laughs> Aiden writes, Hi all. I don't like games with enemies that level up alongside you so that you can't go back to an early area and feel awesome or go to a difficult area and feel insignificant. I don't mind some smoothing of the curve, but let me kick ass or have my ass kicked a few times. You can call me Cornelius Grudge, but this really annoys me. Aiden. Yeah. Level scaling. It's, um, uh, it can be good. No, it can be bad. <laughs> I you sound like a, reason... like a Newsnight politician tasked on an issue they haven't <laughs> The reason, uh, this question caught my attention was, uh, that I recently learned that XCOM's difficulty is just based on the calendar. So like in June, the enemies get harder mm-hmm. and in September they hit this milestone. And so it's just going to happen on calendar time. Um, which is interesting. Because uh, I have noticed, like, uh, even the zombies are getting more health now. Like, zombies in, in War of the Chosen um, are uh, not at all hard at first, because if you kill one, you get a free action for killing them. So you can just keep killing them until you run out of ammo. But uh, they are scaled up now to the point where it's quite hard to kill one in one shot. Hmm. Um, and that changes everything. Um, and yeah, I always wondered whether it was scaling according to objectives like i never really know in mm. xcom whether they do this weird thing where like the main objectives delay research or delay all the things you want to do to make your squad better and so i just don't do them for ages because mm. i like i really need my squad to be better that's more important than completing the game um and that's what the advent uh sorry the what's their the avatar project yeah. um that's what that's obviously there to kind of the advent your, calendar yeah, I was actually, <laughs> uh, I was going to make that joke in my XCOM Twitter thread because there is a, like, there's actually a calendar of Advents things. Like, <laughs> yes, it pops exactly. up every now and then and says, here's when Advent's going to do this. So I reserve the joke, right to also make that joke on Twitter. <laughs> I think you may have made that joke on the pod when XCOM 2 came out as well. Uh, yeah, probably. So it's, well, my version of it is very good. <laughs> there's just, there's a lot of low hanging fruit on that tree. And like most fruit trees, they're all the same fruit. It's one of the problems with that analogy and we've solved it. Yep. Uh, anyway. I don't like doing the main objectives that delay my progress in XCOM. And to be honest, knowing that it, they level up by calendar days has not changed that. <laughs> it still seems like you should just leave it as late as you humanly can until the advent calendar ticks up <laughs> to Christmas. To the deadly final the Christmas box. of death. Uh, it never bothered me in Skyrim or Oblivion. I know a lot of people were really upset about it in Oblivion. Um, but uh, it didn't really trouble me. No. I have a slight life too short feeling about this in RPGs now where I kind of want to go to the place and do the thing. As long as being able to do that doesn't break the story in some way. I want to feel like wherever I go is an adventure because like that, going back to maybe the pen and paper point from earlier, the pen and paper point, um, like, you know, good RPGs often feel like a GM campaign 
and a good GM will never let you like just oh you went there oh you fucked up there's no adventure there stop it go away hmm. go somewhere else like I don't know I'd rather I'd rather game say yes to me I do like really high level challenges and RPGs though um like world bosses that go mm. even beyond the end game things that will just kill you instantly and you look at them and like wow okay one day I'll I'll beat that thing and eventually coming back and killing that boss is a, a really good feeling. Even Assassin's Creed 4 had this in the, uh, in the form of pirate ships, um, mm. like, or ghost ships, I think. The, the thing, there's a ghost ship on there somewhere, um, where they're just mega ships, like legendary mega ships that you'll find, like, very rarely in the ocean. You can see their health bar for miles off, and like, holy crap, I've never been able to kill that. Whereas, of course, in the end game, you've got the firepower to do it, and yeah. it's really satisfying. Yeah, so I will, yeah, I will reserve, yes, I will, I reserve space for sort of leviathan monsters yeah. in games i think that's the thing you have to sell why it's more powerful than mm. you like it can't just be like a tougher version of the giraffe yeah. you're always beating up every really pisses me off in world of warcraft how no matter what level you are no matter where you are there's a fucking bear and it's your level <laughs> like, <laughs> there's right from the start there's bears and you can defeat those easily and then when you're 400 times more powerful than you used to be there's just a different type of bear and that's 400 times more powerful than the other type of bear it's interesting i feel like this this stems not from level scaling itself, but from what your basic unit of enemy is. Hmm. So if your unit of if your unit of enemies goes from rat to god, which is like the arc of most fantasy RPGs, then you'll never feel good about there being a level scaled rat no. when you are like the god slayer, king bane, of, of wherever the fuck. But if your enemy scale starts with like, you know, bandit. Then it feels a little bit better. I'm thinking maybe specifically of Destiny there, because hmm. Destiny's, you know, enemies scale, but they're fundamentally like enemy combatants. So it doesn't feel wrong that you still, because you do outlevel them a little bit, but it doesn't feel wrong that you still have to fight them. Like, yeah, they're not innocent woodland creatures. Yeah, it's not like you don't start off with like, no, yeah, bears or you know wolves or anything like that. You you know, you're still fighting the same combatants later as you are when you start. It's just that you've also gone on and killed some gods, which is. Hmm. Apparently, where every RPG has to go. But, yeah. <laughs> Level scaling. It's all right, really. Yeah, it's uh, fine. Yeah, although this was a grudge, so I don't know. We don't have the authority to put it in the book or no, not. No, we don't. Pip's not here. So, who knows? <laughs> it will. Um, it grudge will, limbo. Yeah, grudge limbo. Which is um, something that happens at like a, a birthday party where the vibe's gone really weird. <laughs> um. Matthew writes, would Tom F. consider doing a HeatSig Q&A lock-in special podcast now that launch is finally upon us? Uh, if that's the thing people want, I could do that. I This is a character flaw, but I don't get bored of talking about my own games, <laughs> even after doing it for like three and a half years. For some reason, it's just like, uh, that doesn't happen. Maybe we should do one without you. <laughs> <That'd be laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm not seriously suggesting that, but... Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we could do that. Well, it would be, yeah, it'd be, uh, it would be hard to do like a sort of, here's what we think of this game podcast with me in the room. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it would be, could be awkward. Well, I mean, you know, we've got, I mean, aim, don't aim small, burn the biggest bridge. <laughs> I always, <laughs> I also was interesting, like Mark Kermo does, he'll review a film in the same episode that they interview oh, yeah. the director and he won't always love it. <laughs> mm. Um, and he, he doesn't really, doesn't get confrontational really well, the ones I've listened to. Um, he doesn't really like bring up the criticisms with the director. You know, there's still valuable information to be gained there. Um, but it always seems kind of awkward to me. <laughs> mm. Mm. The thing is like, I mean, it's probably true for any developer if you had them in the room, but like 
90 percent of the game's flaws i all jump on and admit to and say yeah i know that's that's really annoying we can do that because then the game would take six years <laughs> something that we could do which might make more sense than like sharing stories of the game with you in the room which could just be well, it could be fun because it'd be weird is take questions specifically about heat yeah. sig don't accidentally announce this now when you haven't agreed to it but <laughs> like you know and then we can ask you the questions rather than we, could, uh, we should play it with tom watching like, <laughs> going oh my god what are you doing <laughs> yeah oh, come on come, come on <laughs> yeah oh come on yeah <laughs> tom francis reacts series <laughs> oh that's how we get big on youtube <laughs> that sounds fun yeah a tom face. francis react to eh, whatever it is <laughs> And it's just videos of people playing this game badly. I can't, um, when, uh, I really want YouTubers to play the game, but then when they do, I can't watch because like, especially if it's already out there and it's like a really big YouTuber, uh, and it's gone out to like 50,000 people or something at that point, I can't watch the video because if it's painful, mm. it will be 50,000 times as painful <laughs> because <laughs> I know, uh, the way it always feels to me is like, um, your kid is taking an exam and you can just watch helplessly from the sidelines. You have no influence on whether they're going to pass or fail. And it's in front of thousands of people. And uh, you just have to watch helplessly as like, oh, is it going to stand up to what they're doing? No, fuck. <laughs> Usually it does, but uh, it's the, the chance of it failing is too awful. Yeah, I want to do this now. <laughs> All right, we'll see. We'll see what can happen. Alex writes, uh, my favorite title substitution word is sausage for anything that begins with S. He suggests uh, Metal Gear Sausage. Uh, sausage Fighter also has, is, is, is funny if you're 12. Um, I like uh, Rainbow Sausage Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Sausage. <laughs> what, what are you replacing? I'll give you a clue to what that was. The Sausage for Pets. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the sausage world. <laughs> hmm. The secret world. Yeah. Good. Uh, sausage. The sausager. This is the worst. No, bit of no I haven't got it. <laughs> no, can't get it. Wait for it. Wait for it. I'm gonna have to stop this bit, Tom. Or else this is gonna be blurry. No, you gotta tell me. Simon the sorcerer. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well. Okay, that's that bit. Yeah. Send <laughs> us your jokes. We'll kill them. Yep. Oh, um, Divinity Original Sausage. Nice. That's <laughs> actually, yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, there are definitely no other games with the word S in uh, get words. Bio Sausage. <laughs> sausage Sausage. <laughs> or System Shock, as yeah. it's also known. System Sausage would be good, but it doesn't system work because you've got to yeah, replace you can't the system replace, as well. Yeah, so maybe you fix this algorithm, you can't, um, you can't replace both sausages. <laughs> you've got to only partially replace good oh uh oh give me a second uh give, yeah you've got time the world sausages sausage roll <laughs> how about sausages steven roll <laughs> by sausage lavelle <laughs> sorry I've got, i don't know why i'm angry now um <laughs> next question i don't know if that was a question <laughs> it's just an invitation to uh to a tangent um comes from george who writes mario plus rabbids shows that the XCOM formula is pretty flexible what tv show film book or song 
would you meld with XCOM to create a hit? Uh, he also suggests an XCOM game in which you manage underground pop punk bands in the 90s and noughties called XCOM NME Unknown, which is very good. good. Well done. <laughs> Not sure we can improve on that. No, but I do like the idea that I like, very specifically like the suggestion song yes. that you meld uh, with XCOM. I don't know. I mean, maybe you could have like um, like Panic by the Smiths. You know, this panic on the streets of of London, like XCOM style panic, like mm-hmm. uh, 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 <laughs> and Birmingham, and all you're allowed to do is have feelings about it distantly. <laughs> Let's make love and listen to Death from Above. Yeah, yeah. That those are the two things. You can, those are the two actions on the yeah. action bar. They both take one action point. So you can <laughs> move you? and perform either of those actions. <laughs> but if you want to do both, you have to stay still. <laughs> Um, Unless you unlock run and go, then you can both run and make love and listen to death from above yeah. at the same time. <laughs> God, only the ranger class can do that. <laughs> only the skirmisher can make love then listen to death from above. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> or they can just make love twice. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! With the lightning hands perk. <laughs> Oh, uh, good oh, good. How did this end up? Uh, yeah, sex com quite so quickly. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is mentioned sex bomb by Tom Jones. Anyway, <laughs> that's not really a suggestion. It's just a, it's just a pun. Um, just a pun. X com, X com. Is it you're my X com? Yeah, and then like, you're in X com. You can take the sectoids on. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it, it doesn't quite because it's something you can always turn me on, isn't it? Uh, that's the end of yeah. the chorus. So we yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to like workshop this bit <laughs> too strongly. Um, no, XCOM as a formula though does, is quite adaptable. Like I know it's kind of been done, but I really want someone to do Power Rangers XCOM, <laughs> basically, in terms of adapting <laughs> TV shows. Like, as in like teenagers with attitude turning into big robots. Mm. Like, there was a game, like an indie game, that was about that, and you were kind of also running a TV studio where the thing was being filmed. <laughs> um, but I don't know if it had like the full XCOM thing. I kind of want XCOM, but on lots of different scales like that, where mm. like you fight your opponents for a bit, then your opponents get really big, and then you turn into lots of big robots, and then they turn into one big opponent, then you turn into one big robot. <laughs> it's a beat 'em up, and then it's a beat 'em up. Yeah, basically sounds good. Make that game, game developers. There's a yeah, whole, you are. there's a level in um, No More Heroes on the Wii, which is like that. Mm. It's very fun. Good. Um, but yeah, so. Uh, Books, I'm not really necessarily sure. Mm. Natural XCOM, but for literary sources are. I'm playing XCOM for cyberpunk hackers. That'd be a cool thing. Running, I don't know, is that just Invisible Ink? That's just Invisible Ink. No, yeah. Yeah. Okay, ignore <laughs> me. Completely. Already made that perfectly. Mm. If you've got no other suggestions, I'm probably just going to sneeze. Okay. Yeah, good. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to. Um, it's it's not there yet, but I'll just throw what I have. Okay, I'm uh, buying time for Tom to workshop the rest of Sexcom. No, um, I'm trying to come up with a play on Jonathan Franzen's "Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close" that plays on the fact that Xcom soldiers can miss at incredibly close range. <laughs> but I'm not quite there yet. I've got fifty okay. percent like of it. All right. Uh, let us know. How, you're saying you've got a 50% chance of landing. It's like extremely inaccurate and incredibly close. That's right. that's the best I can do. Mm. But this, basically, right. you're taking aim at this joke right now. And the little <laughs> accuracy rating is like wavering around 65%. 17%. Oh. 
Okay. Who who knew there was so much um there was so much like observational stand up comedy in XCOM? Probably just Jake Solomon. <laughs> um yes, I think we've exhausted our XCOM jokes, unless you're any closer to this time. Nope, nope. Okay, good. Let's go. Um Alistair writes, Dear Quake and Cower, games have been trying to scare us forever, from the zombies of Resident Evil to the monstronist from the zombies of Resident Evil to the monstrosities of Soma, enemy design is supposed to make us afraid. The one enemy that has inspired the most visceral reaction in me, though, is the drowned spider people things in Dark Souls 3. My question is this, which character design has evoked the strongest negative feeling in you as soon as you see it? Could be fear, disgust, anger, or anything. Does not have to be a horror game. Thanks for potting along, Alistair. Strongest feelings of revulsion from a character in a game. Yeah, um, I think I might have mentioned this once before, but um, uh, it was not an intentional character design. It was a bug in Mafia, maybe Mafia Two. Um, just a cafe scene. Uh, sitting down to talk to some mobster and all of the vertices of his face had been randomized so <laughs> it was just like a cloud of flesh spikes <laughs> and it was like it was so horrific i felt physically ill oh. <laughs> it was just oh my god i can't yeah. look at it that's horrendous, that's horrendous. and uh yeah no horror game has come close really <laughs> uh i like the uh are they they're not called limpets in the game half-life 2 are barnacles they? barnacles Thing on the scene is suck you up and then they eat your head. That's horrible. Yeah, when they start eating your head, that's not great. <laughs> um, but the blackhead crabs. Really, oh yeah, there's yeah. gross as well. That's, that's, that's like you right up. Uh, they're not terrifying to look at exactly, it's just because you know what they can do. Yeah, mm. the noise is horrible as well. It's a great idea for an enemy. The enemy that takes you to one health. Yeah, actually, uh, face huggers in the a, a, mm. any game that they're in, <laughs> anything that latch itself onto your face is pretty bad. It's always bad. Yeah. Basically, enemies horrible. It's kind of funny that Half Life is so you know headcrab one of its central enemies, but it doesn't like they don't actually latch onto your face; they just bump into you, <laughs> bounce yeah. off again. Yeah, it's because you're wearing a helmet, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I suppose they need to explain why they don't they're not insta kill for you. Yeah, because Gordon's wearing a like HGV suit hat. Mm. Like, yeah, you, you would think, uh, except in all concept art, where it must be removed because no one's allowed to wear helmets in concept art. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. I wonder if he's wearing it in Half-Life 2. Write in if you know whether it's Gordon Freeman is wearing a hat in Half-Life 2. The fucking movie thing of just, let's all take our helmets off <laughs> in this hostile environment. Like, so many sci-fi movies have that scene where they're on an alien planet and then someone has a theory that it might be breathable air and to test this theory they take their helmet off. <laughs> yeah. And because it doesn't kill them, it's not a huge issue, but it could have killed them. <laughs> The superhero movie thing as well. The mask has to fall off. Was the end of the boss fight? No, yeah. And then not to uh, spoil it, uh, but Prometheus um, breaks this rule in that the characters take the helmets off stupidly, and then it is a fucking huge problem. <laughs> not to go into specifics, but they shouldn't have taken their fucking helmets off. There's a lot of things people shouldn't have done with Prometheus, <laughs> yes. up to and including possibly making Prometheus. Yeah, but yeah. Um, the stupidest collection of characters I've ever seen in a film. It's amazing. Mm. It's close to being a very good parody, mm. like, of what people do in these films, but they're so stupid, it almost goes beyond... They're supposed to be scientists as well. They're supposed to be, like, ostensibly clever people. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what a scientist does when he encounters, like, a crazy centipede? 
They just put that thing right in their face. They yeah. just, mm, just like, <laughs> give it a big sniff. Just like, lick it. Put, it up, put it up your nose. <laughs> lick it. Chew it. You know, wink put it. Put it in your ear. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what happens. See if it likes living inside your shirt. Just make sure it's happy. <laughs> Whatever it wants to do. Like, you don't know what its comfort boundaries are, so just let it do what it wants. Are they making another Prometheus? Uh, Is it like a they, fucking trilogy now? They made Covenant. Covenant. Oh, convent. No, it wasn't convent. <laughs> <laughs> Although there was like a monk-based alien, wasn't there? The, that was yeah. the original script for Alien 3. Mm, yeah. So it's got a wood planet, wasn't it? it a wooden was space station, even. Yeah. Mm. I like the mad ideas for alien movies that never got made. Yeah, me too. Didn't... What was the real Alien... Alien Resurrection? Alien like, 3 was one on the prison planet, prison and planet. then Alien Resurrection was the... Uh, oh, the name was... Who was the director of Alien, 3, alien Resurrection? Joss Whedon. No, he, he wrote it. He wrote it. He didn't oh, direct yeah. it. No, you're right. You didn't. Because... It was uh, the guy who made Delicatessen. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, oh and I completely blanked on his name because my, my brain has just decided that his name is Jean-Michel Jarre, which definitely isn't. <laughs> he is French, I think. <laughs> it is. Yes. That is that is the only connection it's making. And unfortunately, <laughs> those two things being in any way remotely alike has erased that real information. From I think it was Jean-Paul Robert. Sartre. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Delicatessen. Yeah. And Alien 3. <laughs> um, well, yeah. Hell is other people and that alien over there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, the real monstrosity of post-structuralism is this creature. <laughs> it's a fucking alien. Look at it. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, well, yeah. Alien's fascinating in that I, 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 I believe that it is a rare example of a film series that is still going despite getting worse with every single iteration after the first one. Yeah, <laughs> have you seen the uh, AVP films? Um, yeah, I've seen too many of them. No, I haven't seen any yet. Please don't. <laughs> it's not good. Yeah, they're sort. They're sort of. I think they're comforting. This is turning into a film podcast. Fuck mm. it, doesn't matter. Um, the the they're comforting in a way because they are. You know, sometimes you watch alien films when you're a teenager, and you're like, this would be better if it was just action. Mm. If it was just things jumping and screaming, I'd, I'd like this more. And then you kind of need the AVP films to exist to show you why you don't want that. Because it is just <laughs> jumping so and screaming. It's a cautionary tale. Like the first AVP basically takes place in what looks like a kind of uh, N64 era GoldenEye level. Yeah. Because it's just big square geometry and <laughs> things pyramid, that squash people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And 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 aliens and predators are also there. Um, and that's it. That's the film. And um, and it's, it's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Waste of time. Yeah. Amazing. Just stop making alien films, honestly. Made they made one amazing one, one good one, and then and so on. I actually watched uh, Alien and Aliens quite recently, um, and I was surprised how much more I liked Aliens. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's the prototype action movie. Obviously, like ev- everything is. Um, I like I like it, Aliens, but, but like it feels like it's, it's not really a sequel fun. to Alien. If that makes sense. No, yeah, it's totally different. But like, um, I love the movie. Imp- I love the movie series implied by Alien, hmm. but I think there's only one of them. And then there is Aliens. Yeah. Mm. And then there's lots of films like Aliens, but none of the other Aliens films are like Aliens. <laughs> yeah. Aliens. Could be worse. Could have been Avatar. Oh, God. It's not concert. <laughs> Sorry, I'm falling on the... They're making a million of those, right? Yeah, apparently. Are they? Like, apparently. Why? Course, big, big, and actually because someone... There was a big thing going around about, like, isn't it incredible that the highest grossing film of all time, none of us can remember a single plot detail of it. And James Cameron saw this and was like, oh yeah, I should make three more. <laughs> people remember Unobtainium. Oh no. <laughs> I would just always remember Unobtainium. That's it. We'll always that. have Unobtainium. Yeah, That's exactly. the classic film line. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Forget it, Jake. It's Unobtainium. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the, uh, there's a fight with a mech and one of the blue people at the end. And um, the mech pulls a knife <laughs> in, in one of the, to me, the, one of the funniest moments yeah. in cinema. Uh, the idea that 
you'd equip a, ne- a mech with a quite a small knife <laughs> that then sort of has a like a, a shank fight with it. <laughs> I like, like the bit oh, where at the end of that fight the snow globe drops out of the mech's hand and it just whispers unobtainium <laughs> as it shatters on the ground I remember a lot of things about that film and nothing at all um, yeah I mean hmm. Tom remembered a detail of yeah. <laughs> Avatar so I, I it was hilarious. Of <laughs> I remember yeah. there was a big tree in it there was a big tree some drop ships. It cost a lot to make. Those are the things I remember about. Mm. 3D was quite good in it. Yeah. One of the I actually didn't films. see it in 3D. Uh, I went to see it with my sister and her boyfriend. And before we went to see it, her boyfriend brought around an entire ham to my parents' house. which felt like a gesture possibly <laughs> too far. Yeah. That's my the main thing I remember about Avatar. Sounds the most memorable thing about <laughs> yeah, Avatar. Exactly. The whole ham that was nearby. <laughs> like, like, good for you, mate. Mm. Um, it was a delicious ham. Anyway, I can't remember what the question was. <laughs> Um, that was the question about scary monsters in games hmm. believe it or not moving on we have quite a long question from uh, Rahul so I will <coughs> I will truncate it a little bit he writes <clears throat> good morning cans and can openers in episode 200 you discuss Tacoma and touch on the data mining percentage counter and whether or not this ticks up if you play the game or not you see it tick up very slowly in real time, and its slow pace is one way to incentivize you to go slow and uh, to go play the game, i.e. explore the ship and view the AR recordings. When you return to the terminal after having walked through and experienced a section, the percentage will have artificially jumped up. I haven't tested this myself, but TV Tropes indicates that the playing of the game isn't mandatory, and if you do leave the terminal plugged in then, then and just wait it out, the game can effectively complete itself, but it takes roughly nine hours. This, however, isn't a secret or a non-standard ending. You just complete your narrative task without having uncovered all of the context just by playing the game. You aren't rewarded for your patience, but then it doesn't expect you to do so. It's merely a nice Easter egg to make the world feel a little bit more real, as the task will complete as it should do without your intervention. He goes on to uh, mention the sort of Easter egg ending of Far Cry 4 very early on, where if you just sit still when the villain tells you to do for mm. 10 minutes, the game ends. Um he also mentions a similar puzzle in The Witness and in Braid. And his question is, can you think of any other games which have mechanics requiring or at least the consequences for player passivity? And where and how do you judge these games and my above examples for their merit or enjoyment on this aspect? Um, and then he, he adds that uh, he likes that the Tacoma team didn't go for like an achievement for Tacoma's non-standard ending instead of sort of letting it it sit there. Um, the witness is my favourite he concludes as it's generous enough to give the player something which is highly likely to interest them if they're the type to get that far into the game but with no meta signal to show to others that they've done it uh, Braids however fucks me right off thanks for reading everybody Raul oh my god I did not find the thing that is um... oh no wait sorry I'm, I'm misremembering so the, the witness thing there's like a sort of underground cinema and there are several different things that can be showing on the screen hmm. there is one that that goes on for a very long time and it's fucking boring <laughs> and there's no payoff but the actually the thing that you have to wait a really long time for i think it's like a might even be like a gdc talk or something like it's a it's a lecture uh, i haven't watched it but um uh, i don't entirely agree that anyone who's into that game would would want to watch it because i was pretty into that game but i did not want to watch it <laughs> um there's a pretty sort of classic example, um, not too extreme, uh, in Deus Ex Human Revolution, where um, you're told 
there's a hostage situation and but it's also your first time in your like home base and you can go around and talk to everyone and snoop through the offices and stuff but if you just keep doing that eventually the hostages are killed <laughs> and you're told this and uh that's it's cool um to be honest i kind of in that context i almost prefer it if the game doesn't pressure you or mm. i don't know it, it there's a bit of um uh it feels a bit of a fuck you because the reason we don't hurry in those situations is because we we know from experience games don't simulate this thing mm. um and so uh it's almost as if games have asked us not to take this seriously and then when one day you say oh why didn't you save them you should have saved them uh, you should have taken uh less time it feels a bit like well because you and all your game developer friends taught me not to care about this um but i don't know it, it certainly didn't bother me in, in human revolution it's a good one in Final Fantasy VI, where you get a cool ninja party member. He's a ninja, he's got a dog who does all his finishes for him. Um, and you go to a village and it, it, it's set fire to, and uh, the the ninja decides he's going to run back into the fire and he's going to try his best to save everyone. And he's, he's, he's very much like written like a, a goodbye. And, you know, he says, I may never come back, but, you know, it's been a pleasure, you know, fighting alongside if you wait there for like 10 minutes, he just comes back. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you leave him, you don't get him ever again. Like it's just oh, that's amazing. He's, 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 he's uh, it's a very witty, it's one of many witty elements to Final Fantasy VI, which is a very funny game. Anyway. This reminds me of, um, this is a film, so wildly irrelevant, but it's uh, a very similar scene. Um, uh, Pushing Tin with John Cusack and Billy Bob Thornton, um, where they're both air traffic controllers and they're trying to like out badass each other as a lot of like machoism and there's like a bomb in the building and they've got to direct all the planes safely to ground before they leave the building because like you know if you just abandon planes in the middle of uh, landing maneuvers they can uh, crash and so John Cruz like, like going out to the last minute directing all his planes like everyone else has evacuated the building and then he just finally like slams down his headset sprints from the building in slow motion like dives into the snow and then just nothing happens <laughs> and then like there is no bomb and billy bob thornton stay behind and direct all traffic and uh, uh and on the day and then the news footage of it afterwards just shows <laughs> while some cowards fled the scene <laughs> face planting into the snow thinking that um it's interesting the way that um mass effect's interrupt system went from being a mechanic that had sort of equal pathways for being an active player or a passive player mm. but was sort of steadily implemented more as a prompt to choice choose an action where being passive was basically always bad sort of interesting because the purpose of that was always for you to interrupt something but the you know an equally valid choice was to not do the thing that you're being prompted you can do mm. which is which is a passivity mechanic because you're popping up a prompt for the player and offering them the choice to use it or not and offering them a certain set of consequences if they don't do it. Whereas over time, that sort of devolved a bit into like, you know, do the good shouting, do the bad shooting. <laughs> and if you didn't do those things, you you know, you had to earn points to unlock the, the ability to do those things in some mm. cases. And that and that in turn means that um, doing them is always right. Mm. Which it, it's it's kind of the opposite of this, but it's a way that uh, in it, what was initially a kind of a mechanic to give players time-limited ways of choosing whether they were going to act or refuse to act actually became a kind of just an extra set like almost like a qte or something where it wasn't mandatory but if you wanted the most dramatic outcomes and, and the best outcomes and you probably had to i'm kind of interested when those mechanics show up and they're not um they are they are fully fleshed out regardless of whether or not you choose to take action hmm. or not 
the Tacoma one, I'm not surprised um, that there isn't like a special ending for it because you're not really doing anything different. Like when you go off and you do watch those logs, you don't interact with them. You don't change the world. You just sit there and watch stuff. Um, and you scrub through it. It's like interactive watching. But uh, story-wise, you're not doing anything different than if you did just sit there and wait for your thing to finish. It's mm-hmm. really just like, are you curious about what happened here? If so, you can find out. Um, and so if you're not curious, then... Uh, I mean, you pretty much have to be in game sense because... Uh, you can roleplay this person just brings a magazine with them. And <laughs> yeah. the terminal. Um, and even like whether you have that information or not is not really relevant to how the game plays out. Uh, it doesn't ask you to like make a decision about that stuff. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, um, it doesn't really feel like an alternate ending in the same way that like Far Cry 4 things did. Did the first Dead Rising do this properly? Because the thing about the Dead Rising games until the most recent one was that they have a timer. The first um, one failed you, didn't it? I mean, it was... Did it fail you or did, could you just hide and then get rescued? <laughs> I'm not sure, actually. Good question. I think you get the, you get the worst ending. Yeah. But I was, I'm, I'm trying to remember if, if it would just let you, like, stay in the safe room for 72 hours and then go get rescued, which is kind of what you would do. Mm. I don't know, though. So no, I'm not sure. Hmm. But yeah, it's interesting when... Um, Outer Wilds uh, was... So I've never played it, but I understand this is... a. Um, what Majora's Mask does. Um, it's on a kind of timer. Uh, it's a solar system and it's a game where you can like, it's first person, but you can go inside a spaceship, <laughs> which is a thing I'm a fan of, uh, and take off and go to different planets in this, in this very small solar system. Um, but also that solar system is on a kind of schedule of things that are going to happen, including, I think eventually the entire thing just blows up. Um, uh, it's going to like go supernova and then you die and then you go back and you do it again and it's about uh i guess figuring out like what you can do in that in that space and figuring out and also just exploring what was happening on this planet while this was happening um does anyone know if that was out now i don't know it was it, it was in the igf and i loved it and um i voted for it and it won um and then there was the fig campaign the crowdfunding platform that's kind of in conjunction with double fine and it was successfully funded there and that's the last i remember i don't remember if it actually sort of had a, an official final release because it was really i i would say finished but it was really uh all there in the igf build it was mm. you know you could polish it but it um it was a whole game the other thing that comes to mind is there's a metal gear solid three boss Oh, yeah. that you can wait out for a week to the point where he <laughs> dies of old age. Is so, like, do you have to have the game running for a week? Yes. Yes, I think you do. Hmm. Or maybe it's something to do with the time on your save. I think you have to keep it running. Basically, it's an extremely old man. And if you wait long enough, he will just die. He's <laughs> <laughs> called the end. Yeah. And he's a sniper who just lies there and waits for you to slowly make your way towards him. Unless you don't. <laughs> <In which> case, <laughs> you know, it's the end of him. Oh, shit. Um, uh, oh, I wonder if it's coming up to time. There is an achievement in Stanley Parable that is just don't play the Stanley Parable for three years. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I must be are we are we coming up on that? I feel like I haven't played it for three years. I feel like that as well. Oh, wow, Maybe finally I we can get that an achievement. achievement. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Yeah, I like these sort of ideas actually. Uh, well, actually, specifically, I really like um, games that have some kind of like occurs in real time element that you can go back and play with and, and do or avoid actions as you see fit. That's something I'm kind of into thematically 
Stanley Parable must have been after Gunpoint because uh, the Stanley Parable demo references the Gunpoint demo. <laughs> Does it? Yeah, there's a it's um uh, an incredible like custom made demo Stanley Parable one. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Gunpoint is not <laughs> at all. I <laughs> uh, went the opposite approach, um, but uh, all I did was have a sort of like fourth wall breaking conversation at the end of the demo where they I ask you to buy the game. Um, but Stanley Parable features like a little gallery of like notable demos of our time, and there's like Half Life Uplink there, and for some reason Gunpoint isn't there. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, nice. maybe I did know that. That rings a bell now. So, uh, and Gunpoint was four years ago, so uh, depends how much longer after. I feel like it was, wasn't too long after. There's no way to find out. Impossible information. <laughs> we don't live in an age where we can easily find information like that. No, nor should it's we. It's lost to time. Um. Do you think you have to? Sorry, no, go. <laughs> do you think you have to like fire up the game to get the achievement? <laughs> like, should it just be unlocked? Or I think actually knowing what I know about how achievements work, I think the game would have to run to to unlock it. So you can check. You'll have your last played on date on Steam. Yeah. So before you run it, check that date. If it's yeah. less than three years, don't play it. But mm, if it's yeah. more than three years, unless play you it. just want to enjoy the game, that's that's a reasonable reason to boot something. <laughs> nah. <laughs> <laughs> Only the achievement matters. Well, it means that you've got you know you've got some time now. So if you if you haven't played Stanley Parable yet, buy it now. Load it once, close it, and then come back in the year 2021. Oh my god. And then you can, um, yeah, from the back of your desert crossing big rig, um, steal enough gasoline. <laughs> <laughs> steal enough gasoline to get your old PC running again, then you too can get an achievement. Get you far enough to reach the big town, at which yeah, point exactly. you'll be like, oh, fuck this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you can return to your life in the desert where things are simpler and you don't have quite so many quests. And you can cook food just on the ground. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Throw food on the ground. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, and, and then be murdered in your sleep for your precious resource of unobtainium. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't all yep. the callbacks we can yeah. do now. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, Will writes, Howdy, Thirst Toms and Pip Bar. As an aviation fan, I've been infatuated for a few years with hardcore flight simulators like DCS World and IL-2. Not having the means to justify building a potent PC and peripherals to handle the demands of these sims, I seem to be fine with regularly checking the news and forums for them, and watching YouTube videos to learn about and understand the experience of flying these things vicariously through those who do. Have any of have any had a bit Sorry, have any of you been a satisfied voyeur of a game genre or community to learn about an interest while not playing them? Confession: I stopped playing PC games some years ago, but became an ardent listener to CNC because you explore the medium in a very stimulating way, and I like how it makes me think. I like how you think. <laughs> wow, get a room. I am in my... <laughs> get, get a different room. <laughs> or we could leave this one. Okay. Um, secondly, <laughs> sorry, I made myself laugh by thinking about the XCOM conversation from earlier. Um, secondly, the fidelity that flight sims are able to exploit these days means that long development times to accurately research and model complicated systems ultimately for an each audience. It's specifically this technical aspect has guided me to a better understanding of history than I could have found otherwise. It's occurred to me that this transcends the art of game design to the end of preserving a real experience that could not be achieved again in another physical place or medium. Question, is there a future for games to preserve tactile historical experiences, much how museums curate artifacts from them? Thanks and tell Marsh to bring Fail Forward back, uh, Will. So, question one is enjoying games vicariously through others. The obvious answer here is Eve Online, I think, <laughs> which is a game primarily enjoyed vicariously. 
Yeah, Evil Lies Good One, those two for me watching it, and I think StarCraft 2 probably. For you yeah, too. for me, StarCraft 2, I watch pro StarCraft 2 a lot, and I don't really play the game. <laughs> I think on a community wide level, like in terms of following like every aspect of the game except playing it, mm. it's probably just Eve for me. I'm trying to think. I do check in with like other MMOs sometimes just because I'm kind of curious about how things change and what people are up to. Mm. Uh, I think I've I've inured myself to the sensation that like oh maybe it's time I got back into Final Fantasy fourteen whatever it is this week yeah like you sometimes get that urge and then you do the two lunch times worth of playing it and then you do oh I'm not doing this <laughs> yeah it's more fun to find out like oh that's what people are doing that's the raid boss they've just beaten that's cool I'll watch the videos of that or watching the endings of Xbox games I'll never play on YouTube because you're momentarily curious and. Hmm. Life is finite, and what better use of it than that? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Other than that, not sure. I like the idea of watching flight sims, though. That's yeah. Something. Oh, actually, um, I played a bit of Gwent, and I quite liked it. But it, like, I'm not really into sort of versus multiplayer games. Um, but I ended up uh, not for the first time enjoying watching Christopher Rod play it more than I enjoyed playing it myself. Get a room. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was just a... Uh, uh, that's a, a genre of game that I'm probably not really into playing, but I like watching. Hmm. Sorry, I was drinking. Um, the other part of this question is over there on my screen. I just blanked completely. <laughs> Oh, future for preserving ex- historical experiences in museums through interactive media. It feels like it should be. Like, I think about this in terms of archiving, not just, I mean, obviously you talk about history, historical experiences, flight and, you know, flying aircraft and things. But actually, I wonder about preserving past experiences of technology, including games, but not limited to games. Like, I wonder, there must be people preserving the experience of using the first version of the internet or using connecting to the internet on a 56k modem or or that kind of thing maybe mm. they're not but that seems like a shame to me you know what i mean that like mm. we seem to be not curious about not I mean, obviously we preserve historic we preserve technology in terms of the physical stuff but they don't seem to be too much attention maybe i'm wrong and if i am wrong write in because i'd be interested to know a sort of um, attention paid to preserving the experience of technology at a given time right like, I kind of want to go to the museum of, well, one day in, 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 you know, 40 years time, I want to take my grandchildren to the museum of what phones were like in the late nineties <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, watch their baffled faces as they mm. try and play snake, you know, <laughs> or send a text message where you got to press all the each, buttons. Each button. Oh, yeah. You, you have to button. press yeah. the numbers like multiple times to yeah. get the right. Remember that? Like letter. that's something we could all do wow. intuitively and can't, can't like- anymore. I, that was a skill I never actually developed because I was um, late enough to, you know, ever texting anyone. <laughs> I didn't really need to do that at any given speed. I remember watching people do it like super, super fast. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was a thing. I think lots of places are being preserved, especially like when you look at Google Maps and like 3D renders of existing places. Mm. Like, you know how we rebuild medieval streets from quite bad drawings <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> before perspective was really well understood uh, and they're trying to extrapolate what they, things were like well now we've got vast databases of what pretty much every street in major cities look like it's all documented so we'll be able to see how uh our cities and living spaces change i wonder um 
so I think it was really uh, sorry. I think it was announced recently that uh, Battleborn is going to stop receiving updates mm. soon. That was new. And we talked about it earlier in the podcast. Yeah, you're right. Um, mm. Somebody was saying that uh, it's a shame that they are not turning off the server check before that. So uh, essentially, the final version of Battleborn will require the servers to be online to work. Um, and therefore one day it will stop working and, uh, you won't be able to play it. And yeah, obviously like all online games, uh, kind of have a, an end date in that sense, unless the community takes it over and, and finds a way to sort of make their own custom servers and stuff. Mm. But I'm sure we've lost a lot of those already. Mm. Um, and then, uh, there was, a, I watched a really interesting video today, um, by someone called Summoning Salt who uh, is into the speedrunning community and apparently he's done a load of these videos for different speedrunning communities, but the one I watched was for Half-Life 2, talking about the journey to uh, getting like sub two hours um, it in a single run, like one person just doing it live from start to finish. Um, and uh, it's a really good video, I recommend it. Uh, but they were saying like a lot of these world records, the history of these world records being beaten uh, happened on Twitch, it was live streamed and... Uh, way back in the day, Twitch used to just, all your past broadcasts would just be saved. They're just there. And so anyone can watch them anytime. It was all preserved. And then one day they said, oh, we're deleting all those. <laughs> and you could preserve them if you went back and, and found the bit you wanted to save and made it a highlight, which is how it works now. If you make something a highlight, it's saved. Mm. Otherwise it gets deleted. Um, but I remember this happening at the time. They did not give nearly enough warning for that kind of thing. Like a huge amount of history and data was just lost mm. right then and there. Um, including a whole load of world record uh, breaking uh, Half-Life 2 attempts. I mean, ones that records have been surpassed now, but mm. uh, records are shattered like in amazing runs. And this guy's saying like, it's a really weird situation where one of the most sort of historic record breaking runs doesn't exist and no one can find it. But there are hundreds and hundreds of people who watched it live who yeah, can say, yeah. yeah, he did it. It was this. I've got a screenshot of the end screen, but you can't watch it now. Hmm. Huh. That's very interesting. All these speedruns lost the time. <laughs> like like bunny hops in the rain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Roy Batty, attack ships off the shoulder of Orion, any percent. <laughs> <laughs> any percent. Uh, dog kills only. <laughs> um, Kill the animals. Yeah. Uh, next question comes from Dosbox. So either uh, either a, a, like a, a, a machine that runs DOS or two boxes, depending on where you're from. Um, dear Pip and the Pipette. Or Divinity Original Sin. <laughs> yeah, or um, Death of Some Box. <laughs> uh, right. Dear Pip and the Pipettes, most games seem to take a straightforward approach by having... So this is, this is based on the subject line, which is about food in games. Uh, most games seem to take a straightforward approach by having food provide sustenance. Some games inhibit the player by simulating the effects of alcohol or poison, with an occasional twist of granting short-term beneficial effects. Are there any games where consuming food changes the character more significantly? Thanks for the podding, DOSBox. This is not 100% what they're asking, but um, I'm always fascinated by the effect of food and drink on mana, um, mm. in the, particularly in the Shock games. Um, yeah. In System Shock, uh, I think I'm right in saying that coffee increased your psi points and alcohol decreased them um and in the dishonored games and prey anything fish related boosts your mana <laughs> uh like eels and um 
I think in, in prey <laughs> is it eels again? It's definitely fish stuff. <laughs> that you were almost freestyling then because you were very, very close to like dishonored and prey, eat a lamprey, get your mana back. <laughs> But I didn't like. I genuinely thought when you said "and pray" that you said "lamprey" and like, eels, and it just my mind. Just Don't, isn't like slowly. drinking dulls your psi power, but sm- in Bioshock, smoking increases it. Yeah, smoking yeah, hurts you. Increases your smoking smoking it's kind of like shiz power or something. Just like you know, your well, it seems quality. to be like a strange correlation between uppers and downers, and oh, yeah. your health and mana. Yeah, like System sense. Shock is downers are health and uppers are <laughs> mana, basically. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's so, kind of a logic to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, at least one of these, like, drinking... That's not how it your... life, kids. <laughs> <laughs> at least one of these, like, drinking increases your health. Um, and in the Elder Scrolls games, drinking will fortify your strength, but reduce your intelligence. Mm. <laughs> and we we were trying to remember this. Um, I uh, I feel like there's a, there's a a big game where eating human flesh has some big effect on you. Um, like gives you cannibalism or something and cannibalism is some kind of per- persistent trait yeah that, i know exactly sure. what you mean. it was an elder scrolls game but was it a fallout oh maybe i think it was a fallout that'll explain why i think it might be it's in that engine yeah i, I didn't play any fallouts until three i think it's a fallout three or mm. vegas or four <laughs> i think it's a fallout game by bethesda is what i'm saying or not by bethesda i think it's a 3d fallout game is what i'm saying <laughs> um Yes, you're right. There is a game where becoming a cannibal is a thing. There's pre and post cannibal experiences and phenomena. Hmm. <laughs> uh, yes, but we can't, definitely can't remember what the fuck it is. Maybe become a ghoul or something. I can't remember. Right in. Right in if you can remember what the hell we're trying to might remember. Cause you, you <laughs> right in if you where. know what happens if you eat human flesh. <laughs> Yeah, because you were telling a story about Rich, weren't you, Tom? Oh, yeah, Rich McCormick, um, uh, former writer for PC Gamer, wrote a, a Now Playing, which is like a, a, a little diary feature you run each month, about um, how in, in Elder Scrolls games you eat things, and when you eat them you discover their properties for fu- in case you want to brew potions in the future. Um, so the best thing to do is just to hammer your way through everything and just gobble it all up in one <laughs> one go. And so Rich was just like hammering the F key or whatever it was, just like eating plants and, you know, bones and, you know, bits of twig he had found and then <laughs> realised suddenly that he'd, he, he'd eaten a bicep or something, <laughs> just a piece of human that he picked up. And um, there are lots of... Uh, there's an amazing l- line in great gaming sound effects for eating things, <laughs> uh, especially like specialised sound effects for eating grain or meat or mm, you know yeah like kind of munch yeah. munch munch or a kind of or, or a crunch yeah know, a kind of the, um the sort of the, yeah the crunch bite that is almost certainly someone eating an apple in yeah. the sound recording because that's a really good sound effect mm. um so <laughs> rich realized with horror that he had eaten human flesh and rich mccormick is vegetarian so <laughs> it's a weird kind of dilemma only not only it's cannibalism, but also eating an animal, which is, you know, as a human. Uh, and he just freaked him out for a while. It's a bad experience <laughs> reflecting on that. I gather in Divinity Original Sin 2, you can eat, like, human limbs and stuff. And I think that as undead, maybe that helps in some way. <laughs> I've heard lots of stories about people eating legs accidentally. You should, uh, you should be able to eat crickets in um, RPGs. Apparently that's the future of protein intake for humans. Uh, I think you can, uh, you can certainly eat some insects in Skyrim. Like butterflies and stuff. Definitely can Zelda. Oh no, you make elixirs out of them actually. Mm. Mm. I ate some silkworms recently. Mm. Oh, no, they? Was, it was crunchy. Did mm. they make you stealthy? No. Mm. No, they didn't. Well, 
No. It was nighttime. So that <laughs> I got I got the stealth buff from being nighttime, not from eating silkworms. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. Excellent. Is it? Lawrence writes A few days back, I was talking with a couple of fellow Crate and Crowbar Discord members about functionally useless things games will allow you to do in order to express character and otherwise add a bit of life to a game's world. The first example we brought up was the ability to pet animals in open world games. This isn't a useful thing to be able to do. You don't, you're not rewarded with XP or in-game currency for taking time to pet the goodest boy you can find. But it still adds a layer of player expression, however minute, that can be easy to overlook. A game that expands on this in ways I wasn't expecting was Watch Dogs 2. The game features a sort of social engineering system that allows the player to influence the mood of NPCs around them. This can be used to distract people, e.g. getting two NPCs angry to the point they start to fight or create a ruckus, drawing the eyes of civilians and guards alike. Complementing this, the player character Marcus can jeer, laugh, wave, flirt, which the game usually rewards with someone punching you for catcalling, cheer for, or even insult NPCs. These actions prompt different changes in mood for both the target of your interaction as well as the surrounding NPCs. Dancing next to a busker will make other NPCs in the vicinity laugh or cheer. Telling an NPC marked as angry to chill out will cause their mood to become more neutral, and so on and so forth. I found this adds a really cool way to express who Marcus was beyond his ability to engage in indiscriminate murder and car chases. My questions are... Do you have any examples of fun little ways game allow the player to interact and express character within the world around them? Do you feel these can be valuable at all? Am I just reading too much into my ability to take time out of infiltrating a high security base to pet a dog with my robot arm? So long and thanks for all the pods. Lawrence, who's Morgan on Discord. I like the story. Yeah, <laughs> obviously the, the watchdog system isn't purely for expression. It has a very specific set of things. Yeah, I, I played watchdogs too a bunch. I had no idea you could do stuff like that. That's cool. Mm. Um, I, had no, I, I think I didn't know that that stuff affected anything. Right. Like, and also, just realism point, saying calm down to an angry person does not work. <laughs> oh, yeah, I will actually, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, good point. Uh, Tommy, you, you, you came up with a good one. Did I? Yeah, yeah. Can we remind you of what it was? Yeah, I do. It's Destiny related. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, in, um, <laughs> thanks for reminding me of like literally 30 minutes ago or whatever it was. Um, so, yeah, one of Destiny 1's uh, big raids, you fight the giant god creature that is threatening all of human existence. And in the final boss fight, you could point at him and he points back and goes, <laughs> It's because you're stuck on the other side of a window from him for yeah. a bit and you can point at him through the window and yeah, he just points at you back. Yeah, it's so good. It's as in, to clarify, it is the point emote and he just has the little thing coded in so that he responds to that, which yeah. is always nice. I, I love that little touch. Um, uh, sorry to mention Zelda again, but you, you can make friends with dogs in Zelda in settlements. You can get get some meat out and put it on down in front of them and they'll eat it and little hearts will come out of them. <laughs> that's adorable. Mm. You can do that with quite a lot of animals in Zelda. You yeah, horses you can charm well. them and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's obviously in multiplayer games there's taunting. Um oh, yeah. and in TF two that was a uh a whole culture. <laughs> they had a cheat they they had some taunts that kill people, which is obviously a, a functional thing more than an expression thing, and had achievements for those. But also my favourite was always um uh the spy had a taunt where he would take his cigarette case out and just um uh flick his cigarette away and draw a new one. <laughs> and it was the, the sort of the classiest uh gloat if you killed somebody and it made you like locked you in place made you helpless for like five seconds it was a terrible idea strategically but it was just a way to express your smugness um vanquish has the smoke a cigarette button oh it does which yeah. uh you can do when you're behind cover you can you know, the 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 faceplate on your sci-fi rocket man helmet slides past and mm-hmm. you can light a cigarette and then when you release the button he throws it over the cover he's under so it does have a very 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 minor 
gameplay effect because the robots you're fighting track heat so they will momentarily shoot in the wrong direction uh, when you do this but it's not really that useful for that because yeah. you are a rocket need <laughs> mega man and you can do what you please um but um but yeah you can still nonetheless just press rb to smoke which is a good a good That's touch fun. like good pointless button mm. prompt is it cargo commander where you can press a button to swear that came up a couple of pods ago yeah <laughs> yeah you could smoke in metal gear solid five uh but it passed time so it was pretty functional um that's because you, you're smoking big bosses' time cigar. Yeah. Which isn't amazingly a euphemism. Let <laughs> um, oh, spell that game again. But uh, mentioning that just made me uh, remember me playing that game and the fact that I was not playing as big boss. I was playing as some totally different character. And how amazing is that? Like, they just mm. they just let you just be someone totally different. You can just do the whole game. It's just like, this guy. <laughs> just that guy. That game is another one of those just amazing <laughs> yeah, kind amazing. of how did you make this kind of experiences. I kind of miss it. Is it weird that I miss it? It's from 2015. I was like, oh, that feels like such a long time ago now. Yeah, yeah. I miss it as well. It's I want to replay it, actually. It's really, really good. Yeah. I mean, not that, not that I finished it, but I, I think I got I think I got through all the juicy open world stuff and uh, that's the bit I want to replay. Mm. Um, sorry, yeah, you reminded me of a joke. I labored to try and make work for ages. I'm not going to try again now, but it, it was D horse related. Is it as good as extremely inaccurate and incredibly close? <laughs> no, you know, it was like a, a minor sound, sound of the summer earlier this summer, the song Ciao Adios. No. I was trying to, <laughs> trying to make a D, uh, Ciao at D horse joke. <laughs> anyway, you don't want to go through my so, Twitter drafts folder for like. <laughs> Places that I've spent train journeys trying to make, <laughs> trying to make them big favs. Not going to happen. <laughs> Never going to happen. I can't believe my uh, Hamlet as a game critic tweet was not more popular. <laughs> it's almost as if that's somehow niche. Should have a new section of the podcast. Jokes we thought should have done better. <laughs> you animals. Our Twitter drafts folder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. God, mine's a, mine's a fucking disaster. <laughs> um, you think I've tweeted some garbage you should see <laughs> I don't most of mine are just like this is too snarky I can't say this <laughs> um finally uh fanatical from discord writes hello podders I've been playing games since forever but to this day I struggle with a very important aspect of them naming characters over the years I've come up with a naming scheme inspired by <laughs> Mass Effect naming your characters after astronauts my Mass Effect characters have been called for example Valentina from Tereshkova Neil from Armstrong Sunita from Williams and Kalpana from Chola. I've carried this naming scheme into fantasy games as well by mixing up different astronoid na- astronoid astronaut names <laughs> to generate non-normal names like Bone Airpod. <laughs> That's spelled B-O-H-N-N-A-E-P-H-A-R-D. And you try and fucking pronounce that. <laughs> How do you deal with the paralysis of naming your character that you might spend hundreds of hours with? Thanks for the podding. Uh, Fana on Discord. I had this problem with Diablo because that was, I think, one of the earliest games where I had a lot of alternate characters. Mm. And, you know, my first one was called Pentadact. And then after that, it was uh, uh, a struggle to come up with them. And I ended up, I think I had a globe near my desk and I ended up just using place names. So, like, uh, I have a Diablo character called Cuba. And um, I would just pick various country names, I think. I can't remember any of those now. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, place names work pretty well for like i particularly wanted like gender neutral ones i didn't want it um mm. uh i agree to be too traditional 
Now, of course, I will just use heat signature names forever <laughs> because uh, heat signature has it randomly combines four names and surnames, and each list is about 170 long. And it turns out that just is effectively infinite names. <laughs> I've been looking at them for many, many years, and you never see the same one twice. And it keeps producing ones that um, uh, that I love and are cool. What was your first one called, Tom? Ah, uh, Simple sim- Crisis. Simple Crisis. <laughs> My name's Simple Crisis. <laughs> I'm sure I'll, I'll, no, nothing bad will happen to me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in the course of this adventure. Yeah, Simple Crisis got, um, I was playing earlier today and, uh, he, I didn't realize that the timer when you're on a, um, a ship is the ship going back to the fucking base of the faction they're from. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Simple Crisis got kidnapped because he just like stayed on the <laughs> ship until it went back to their home base. And, uh, but of course you get an opportunity to rescue, um, them with the next life of the person. Yeah. Was, uh, did you get another crisis character? Um, no, I didn't get another crisis. I got, it was someone else. The, Escalating uh, crisis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause it, there's a chance, uh, when a character gets captured, uh, at the character select screen, someone will be there because their personal mission is to rescue that person. And there's a chance it'll be a relative or if it's not, it might be a friend. And so if it's a relative, they have the same surname. No, it wasn't a crisis, but it was someone else, and um, I, I ballsed up their playthrough. And it would be so great if their name was Advanced Crisis. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like, it, yeah. Well, that was a simple crisis. It's going to take a much bigger crisis. crisis to get them out of this. I need two hundred gold and to pay off this. Uh, advanced this broker. Crisis gets captured, and then the, the, the they get rescued by their friend. Their friend. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh come on! <laughs> that should totally be a name that's possible. Right? <laughs> um, I place names are good. I like places because I, I too like to avoid having names for characters that are obviously gendered. Um, particularly because I tend not to go with, I don't tend not to go with like real names or like, you know, um, so, but, and when you make up fantasy names, whether you are writing stories or making up character names, there's a tendency to like gender them using the way, like using traditional, like, you know, sort of, I don't know, English, for example, or, or like, you know, ways of gendering names so like everything becomes like nonsense syllable ah if yeah. it's a lady's name or like hmm. nonsense syllable on if it's a male name <laughs> and simply reversing them can make more interesting results like i try to do this when i'm pen and paper gming as well because i've come up with lists of names just in case a character asks uh, a player asks me like what's that guy's name you're like oh shit uh Jajerod. Actually, I just realized Jajerod is the name of a Star Wars character. So literally, <laughs> That's yeah, how it happened. Just, <laughs> well, actually, you joke, you joke. That is how a lot of Star Wars characters get named. Someone's like, George, we're making toys of these background characters. What's that guy called? Um, Hammer Guy. And then, yeah. Slipshop. Yeah. Yeah. He's one of the Jizz Whalers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Actually, no, Hammer, Hammerhead is in the same room as the Jizz Whalers. Um, <laughs> what a sentence. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, you have to have a list and it's sometimes it's helpful if, if any of them even sound a little bit uh, like that, you know, the masculine or feminine to flip them, reverse them, flip or reverse it. Um, uh, they're both op- viable options. Um, like I did this when um, when I do character creation. Now, a lot of the time, if players don't uncomfortable coming up with their own names, I'll come up with names for them that are neutral in that way and let them decide whether that's a first name a surname a title or whatever mm-hmm. and then that's a kind of a nice way of doing it because then you can people can decide if what how they want to do it uh, but yeah i think about it a lot because i think it adds a lot to a character if, if you don't necessarily immediately like if the name doesn't just sound 
generic like so many fantasy things wander into that completely mm. blindly for city of heroes it was important to me that every character be a pun of some kind <laughs> um and uh no, that's completely untrue. <laughs> I'm just doing a mental catalogue of all my City of Heroes characters and not that many of them were puns. And the Citrus Punch. Um, that's good. Uh, and I actually, I wrote something. It uh, didn't get used, but I, I was sort of like, uh, there was some kind of writing thing. It might have been, I don't know. I was trying to write some kind of City of Heroes like fiction thing. And one of the characters in that was a Civil War buff who was about buffing his friends, but he also knew a lot about the Civil War. Um <laughs> uh and then my villain was uh whatever man and he was a like pirate zombie scientist uh demon uh i just used the character created to like add as many different conflicting elements as possible and the, the idea is like he was a mad scientist who just like everything fell into his combiner chamber at the same time and then he just became this vague villain <laughs> where he doesn't really have a theme um and my first uh hero was uh the defenestrator just those people through windows. Not really a pun. That's just what that word but means. That was like every game you'd subsequently make. So yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's in there early. Um, I, I so on this topic, I had a weird relation. I did actually write about for PC Gamer next month, so I'll be in that. But so um, to briefly tell the story, though, you know, what I mentioned when we were talking about uh, West of Loathing that I just mm. off the top of my head named my character Christmas Dicket because that made me laugh because like <laughs> Christmas Dicket that sounds funny. I went back to um kingdom of loathing which i'd forgotten i even had an account for really like i was surprised when google autocomplete the login details <laughs> for me wow. even more surprised to then log in and discover that my character was called dick thunder <laughs> disco bandit i was like how did i make myself laugh in more or less exactly the same way at like a six out six year remove from each other it's like sort of faintly comforting in a way but um yeah nonetheless apparently i haven't grown up <laughs> Yeah, it's my name. Do we talk about your naming scheme, Tom? Uh, I rarely have any. Um, I think I tend to uh, name a lot of heroines Lyra after his dark materials. His, his dark materials because mm. um, Lyra is one of my favourite heroines. Yeah, in any fiction because she, she's resourceful, really smart, and she never turns down a call to action. She's just you have to fucking go for it, <laughs> and doesn't matter what the odds are or anything. And, and as those are qualities I really enjoy playing in a hero. So, <laughs> um, um, lot lot of Lyra is in my um history of video game characters um but I, I tend to get really impatient in character like they ask you to make a name right before any exciting things happen in the game so it's always the point where i want to rush the most through it so i tend to just type a lot of old bollocks into the name bar which is how why my barbarian in diablo 3 my very first one is called leopold <laughs> um it's called leopold Le- leopold i remember uh, this I remember so well uh, i was i was so excited and desperate to get into the game that uh, the first thing that came into my head was leopard. Then I spelt it wrong. Because <laughs> uh, so. we were like, we were all in the flat when we used to live together, like hammering the login button, launch night of Diablo three. Yeah. And we all burst into the game, and you burst into the game as Leopold. <laughs> Leopold. <laughs> and uh, why did I even want to name him Leopard? It's so weird. I think I was just I think, reading a lot about leopards at the time. I seem to remember Craig Pearson's username for years was Evil Kenville because it was supposed to be Evil Knievel, but he spelt it wrong once. <laughs> That's how uh, it happens. Forget it. Forget it, Jake. It's evil Kentown. <laughs> um, <laughs> Leopold is like, I spent hundreds of hours with that character. <laughs> and uh, luckily you don't see his name come up very often in Diablo 3, but uh, yeah. 
Yeah, a name I use a lot um, for in games generally is uh, for for characters rather than like logins is um, Road, and only because it applies really well across. Like, I only got that because of well, a character from a novel and um, Rhode Island being where Lovecraft is from, and I think mm. I named an RPG character there when I was out there, and um, it's a good like set of syllables that seem to apply to any character you apply them to. So that's been my and then mm. variants, and that has been my go-to kind of rpg name for ages the other thing i started doing recently with pen and paper is imagining the actor that would play the npc and then <laughs> remixing syllables from their name and hoping that my uh players don't figure that out um he's flint eastward <laughs> yeah good and that is all of the questions and grudge we've got time for this week if you'd like to send us a question for a future episode of the podcast, you can do so by emailing us at questions at creightoncrowbar.com. You can also tweet us at creightoncrowbar. Check out the YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash creightoncrowbar. Or hang out with our community on Discord at creightoncrowbar.com. Scroll up. Discord link. <laughs> <laughs> dot click. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can also, if you wish, support us on Patreon. The podcast is very kindly supported by our Patreon backers as are our uh side projects like miniatures monthly and the bloodborne playthrough which will be returning very soon we promise um if you would like to follow us as individuals you can do so on twitter.com i'm on twitter.com forward slash c thurston that's c-t-h-u-r-s-t-e-n tom senior tom senior i'm at pcg ludo which is l-u-d-o and i am at pentadact p-e-n-t-a-d-a-c-t thanks for listening everybody